Welcome to the Easy Peasy Podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, flow, freedom, agorism, anarchy, and more. Our mission is to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. I'm your host, Mike the Polymath Whistler, coming from the Easy Peasy Shop in Indianapolis, Indiana, the crossroads of America. Thanks for joining. Say that again. Tater tots. <laughs> I'm going to use that as yeah. the next, as the new mic the check. Name. Tater tots. Tater tots. What is that a nickname or something? <laughs> I don't know why that came to my mind. That's exactly what came to my mind. We don't usually know why things come to your mind. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, anyways, welcome to the shop. Thank you. For uh, us. Yeah, let's Thank get you. introductions. Yeah. So. Um. What do you want me to say? <laughs> well, so first of all, remind me, is it Brianna? Brianna. Brianna. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. And? TJ. TJ. I hope you guys don't mind if we use first names. You oh, know? that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, I met you guys. You reached out through Instagram, yeah, which Instagram. You're, you're probably one of the first people that's ever like, I don't know, reached found me either? found me on Instagram. I don't, oh, that's strange. I know. I, I guess I get some followers here and there, but yeah. it's like not something I... I don't try to get new followers, really. Yeah. I'll, I'll hashtag some stuff occasionally, and apparently you found something I posted way back. Yeah. I don't know, some months ago. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of looking up, like, voluntarist hashtags and anarchist hashtags and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I actually wasn't looking for anybody in the Indiana area. It's just you just so happen to be close by. Yeah. It's kind of just ironic or coincidental. Yeah. Yeah. yeah strange it's cool though um yeah i'm glad you reached out and being that we were only what 20 miles yeah, apart 20 miles it's you know it made sense to meet up and so we you know we met up at the pub not long ago kind of got acquainted and yep. been trying to line this up yeah, since for a uh, while. i'm in the process of moving we're both in the process of moving. yeah so. i got a new job it's a you know a contract short-term thing in the northern part of the state so i'm basically just down here on the weekends now i'm working in like the Gary Merrillville area. Right now you are, or you're yeah. about to be. Okay. I have been for. Uh, I guess this is going to be week three or four, whatever it is. That's a bit of a drive from from. Don't you live south of Indy? Yeah, so it's about a three hour drive. <laughs> That's why I don't make that commute every day. I'm just staying at like a cheap hotel there right now. I gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, mm-hmm. Gary's. Uh, that's not a place you'd want to be if you don't have to be, right? No, it's yeah. really not. Yeah. Um, it's it's really depressing to drive through there. But I'm working at the hospital there, and it's you know a decent enough work environment, even if you know the place surrounding it is not like the street that it's on, which is a Grant Street. Like you go north, and 
like it seems like for an entire mile just every single house is abandoned and boarded up and yeah. it's it's just kind of sad that's the state of something that i'm told used to be like a really amazing place to live mm -hmm. but that's a lot of places unfortunately gary's always yeah. well I, I shouldn't say always it used to be booming like yeah way back when but it's been pretty rough for a while now uh, unfortunately but famously you know the childhood home of the late michael jackson um, really? i actually didn't realize <laughs> oh, he was didn't from there yeah yeah and uh there's that song you know gary indiana oh yeah indiana. the you music ever... man yeah, yeah yeah is that the music man the okay music man. i wasn't I, sure yeah. i don't know if you saw i uh i made like an instagram story earlier uh -huh. about actually i'm wearing a yellow dress right now when i was in fifth grade i did like a music man play <laughs> yeah that's fun talking about that earlier so why don't you why don't you tell us like kind of what you do slash what you're into a little yeah. bit? Uh, well, maybe we start with TJ. You mentioned you work in a hospital. Uh, sure. So I'm a surgical technologist. I've been doing that for about seven years, on and off now. Okay. Um, it's what I was trained to do when I was in the military, um, and it's it's not really where my passion is. It just pays well. <laughs> honestly mm -hmm. and it's just sort of a means to an end um last few years as we've been learning more about like permaculture and more traditional methods of of health a lot of information we've learned from like the weston a price foundation um has sort of given me new insight into healthcare and health and that's where i feel like the real future of wellness is it's um I, i'm not so much like against all forms of modern medicine i think like when it comes to trauma and some other things they do a pretty good job but a lot of a lot of what i do every day is giving people surgery for things that ultimately are pretty preventable they mm -hmm. seem to just be the long-term consequences of like the diseases of modernity you know right cutting off feet because diabetic neuropathy has taken them and taking out gallbladders because people don't understand like how to eat properly and you know a million and one other things um so it's you know, that's what i do for work but what i'm really passionate about is more of that kind of uh holistic lifestyle thing so i'm basically just trying to save up enough money to one day uh be able to have my own farm and grow everything in sort of that regenerative way <clears throat> sure yeah 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 well, and I guess I'll ask you to expand because um, I had only just heard about Weston A. Price, I don't know, in the last year, maybe. Um, so a lot of people have never heard of Weston A. Price. Can you tell us like what that is? Yeah. Um, Brian, I think you actually probably know more about him than I do. Well, yeah, I mean, I kind of introduced him to you yeah. a while back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I heard about Weston A. Price a, a couple of years ago. That's kind of where it started for me. But I heard about him through, I mean, not very normally, like, I don't know, not very normal ways of finding out about people the way that I found you, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, basically, I was involved with like a community, pe community of people that are very health focused and uh, getting back to the land. But less in a in a food type of way and more of like other types of ways, like traditional types of ways. Um, so, yeah, they, they had some other ideas on like um, holistic health and holistic medicine. So going back to like foraging or hunting for your own food and stuff like that. And there were a few people in that um, sphere who were mentioning Weston A. Price for a while. And I didn't really look much into it. I didn't really 
care too, too much. Mm-hmm. Um, until I started seeing his name more and more. And I looked into it. And uh, Weston A. Price was, he was a dentist. Um, I'm not sure exactly what his his time frame was that he was working. But he basically traveled around to different countries. And he learned about their dental health. Um, but it turned into learning about food and how food like affects your dental hygiene and your mm-hmm. dental health and things like that. So he started recording all of his studies and um, just publishing them and, and sharing them with the world. Um, and he basically found out that there are specific foods groups in every single country that these people are eating that will tell you whether or not they have, you know, healthy teeth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, um, I think the, the main book that sort of made his name well-known in the field um, was Nutrition and Physical Degradation, which I think he published in 1938. So very early on as far as, like, the real field of modern medicine goes, but not, like, I guess at the beginning of it. Um, and it's probably actually a really interesting time to be studying something like that because it was kind of before full homogenization or uh, full like cultural spread yeah Um, yeah, all these groups had kind of stayed close to the land more traditional to their native roots um i'm sure you know that might be in whatever there's there's something about i guess that early like pre-world war ii yeah yeah a lot of the world like most of the world at that point didn't have electricity and factory farming industrial farming definitely was not common yeah yeah, like in most of the world it was really just like a western thing but even then it was only something that existed in western countries like in the cities Mm -hmm. um and one like thing he talks about was um you know, obviously England, seat of an empire at the time, a lot of people uh, migrated there from India. And he set out to sort of answer the question of like, what is the real cause of all of these diseases of modernity? Like, why is it that we're having people with um, diabetes and tooth decay, fatty liver issues and tuberculosis when there are other people that seem to not have these issues? And he did look at <clears throat> Indian populations in India that we're still eating basically the same foods they've been eating for five, six, seven thousand years, however many thousands of years they've been drinking unpasteurized cow milk and living off of the land. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he noticed that when they moved to England and they started eating a lot of like more processed breads and, um, you know, bread, like other foods that were, you know, processed and packaged in those ways you know strange amounts of salt and things like that that they Mm -hmm. had um he noticed within a single generation you could see these changes like people had you know much smaller jaws like at the time there was almost nobody in india that ever needed to have their wisdom teeth out because their jaws could simply accommodate them right and They didn't have really a whole lot of problems with eyesight. Nobody wore glasses. Um, it was actually kind of strange when English got there and they saw them wearing glasses. They were very confused by this. Yeah. And yeah. many of these populations, like even when, you know, sickly English people were to go there with tuberculosis, it wasn't really contagious in the same way. Somehow they weathered these diseases. And we even have sources that go all the way to the Black Plague, finding that northern India really weathered the Black Plague, like, fairly well compared to other populations in the Hmm. world. Hmm. Um, 
then I mean, it, he goes into a lot of detail about a lot of different populations. Like he literally went to every continent. So this is mostly arguing um, about like the nutritive balance of the diet, or is it? Um, it's not so much. I guess it's there. There were because you know, given the time, there were certain things that uh, you know he couldn't have known yet. A lot of the I guess more intricate functions. Essentially, what he was observing was there were certain foods that were more naturally processed and okay. populations that um fermented foods and like, such. like fermented foods okay. and you know things like he noticed that there was a direct correlation to processed foods and all of these very severe health issues which you know my job as a surgical tech for example all I deal with is those like it's it's mm -hmm. I do occasionally deal with you know fractures from like accidents that happen but literally 99% of all the surgeries I deal with are things that are cancer related and cancer is like it's been around forever but in reality it it's kind of new in the sense of how prevalent it is you know diabetes yeah, yeah. we have sources going back hundreds of years talking about the sugar sickness but it's like half of all adults today that have diabetes and, and yeah. fatty liver and all these other issues. So it's to a certain extent, these, these diseases really are relatively new and relatively, uh, self inflicted or, mm -hmm. you know, inflicted by our cultural diet. And yeah. It, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and one of his, um, main points that, uh, his organization is really trying to push for is to get away from, essentially what mainstream nutritional science is saying because you know the food pyramid is is obviously wrong it's bogus yeah. um, because there are plenty of populations <laughs> that kind of do the opposite of the food pyramid and routinely live to be like a hundred yeah yeah well yeah i mean they're the westerning price is often known as under nourishing traditions is what they call themselves and okay. basically their main focus is Tradition was working pretty well for these people for hundreds of years, and they were pretty healthy people. Mm. So why don't we get back to that? Because it seems to work to some degree. But he does you know? try to, um, I guess, or well, he's he's dead now. But his organization. Right, right. The, um, the, the, so it's the Weston A. Price Foundation. Yes. Okay. Um, but <laughs> Wop F. <laughs> but they. Uh, well, they, but you know, it's good to get you know who he was yeah. Yeah. right right um but they they really do try and find the scientific basis for these traditions because um you know just because they they did it for a long time doesn't necessarily mean it was a good idea but what they found in many instances where there actually were some amazing health benefits like one on one of their podcasts we were listening to recently they talk about um it's called the wise traditions podcast yeah um they talk about um, how the Germans mix sauerkraut and their bratwurst together. And mm -hmm. it's not just that it's delicious, but the, um, the different living organisms that are in the sauerkraut actually are able to get more nutrients out of the meat. Wow, yeah, almost like a digestive enzyme. It's, it's yeah. exactly yeah, yeah, what yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, Naturally occurring. And wow. how traditionally it, the sauerkraut is meant to be eaten raw, overcooked bratwurst, and that it's com that all of that benefit, is com except for the taste, is completely lost when you cook it. Mm. to a large extent um so it's it's going and finding those kinds of health traditions and seeing why did they do this maybe they obviously they didn't know about all the microorganisms and why it worked but they saw that it worked somehow they figured it out mm -hmm. we may never know how but there was a reason people did these things and well i'll say you know the whole issue around wheat and grain um corn, corn. Mm -hmm. i you know i find i find that i 
I highly prefer my grain fermented. <laughs> if you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I probably, I, I've tempted myself with the idea of like going carnivore. Um, do you guys eat like pretty strict diets? Uh, no, or? I wouldn't say we're strict. I, I think that what's happening for us is we're we're trying to make the journey to eating more like Weston A price of approved foods, I guess. But it's a process. I mean, once you're accustomed to eating lots of sugar on a daily basis, mm-hmm. and you just don't pay attention to how much garbage is in food until you really start making the food yourself, or you know, in your shoes, growing food yourself and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So. Well, I, I shouldn't take too much credit because honestly, I you build the beds. Right? I, I I help other people grow <laughs> yeah. their food, um, but ironically, I'm a gardener with no garden. So, <laughs> I, you know, yeah. it's like uh, I joke that it's like the mechanic's car never runs right. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, as the gardener, I I am so busy running around taking yeah. care of everybody else's stuff that I often um, just don't bother with my own. Plus, as you can see, there's not really a good spot here um, for the... I could do a couple of containers, and I have, but you guys obviously are kind of like moving around a lot, which yeah. makes it difficult. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a little disappointing. We really wanted to have a garden this year. Mm-hmm. We had a garden last year. It was our first um, large garden, because the, the year before that was our first attempt at doing a garden and it was just all pot yeah. gardening well, and that we were was in, arizona. in arizona and that was, so. that was we should clarify too. pot as in pots po- oh pots yeah <laughs> yes that would be the first time somebody has yeah. misunderstood what no, I mean. they, they wouldn't allow me to do my job on <laughs> yeah 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 on the devil's lettuce but yeah lots of lots of pots growing <laughs> growing <laughs> pots <laughs> so brianna i'm saying that right yes. yeah oh. brianna okay tell us about about what you're into then. I mean, you oh. already kind of have, but like, oh, do, you, yeah. do you have a job? Do you work or? I don't know, actually. I haven't, I haven't worked in over a year, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, kind of free spirited <laughs> a little bit. I'm trying to learn more. Yeah, I'm trying to learn more of the skills that might be necessary um, in the future. And they're necessary all the time, but mm-hmm. I guess more so as we, as we get closer to uh, impending doom. I'm not going to start a doomsday podcast. But. Well, you know, I guess that's if you're going to go there, we might as well. Like, yeah. I I go back and forth on how concerned I am. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You have to. Yeah, well, it's, it's not. It's a balance. It's not practical to be freaked out. Um, but I hate to say it, but I think preppers have been proven, oh, yeah. um, if not correct, like at least justified. in the last couple years um not to say that like collapse is happening yeah but but it might be (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm kind of like an armchair history nerd um, okay yeah and it's like the thing is with collapse is it's very it's very rare for a collapse to just sort of happen all at once and it's like when you read it in a history book it often feels like that but Mm -hmm. like Roman Empire didn't collapse in a day. The Ottoman Empire didn't collapse well, in a day. But, you know, it is remarkable how quick it did fall in in the greater context of things. I was just listening yeah. to somebody talk about how, in essence, Rome was built in a thousand years. You know, the whole thing is Rome wasn't built in a day. Yeah. Um, so it was built over a thousand years. It collapsed in just under 10. 
But even then, it went to live on for another few hundred years as the as, Byzantine Empire sure, sure. and, and all it, of the uh, yeah. the seceding states that mm-hmm. I mean, to a large extent, were conquered uh, by different Germanic tribes. But they a lot of them adopted Roman customs. Mm-hmm. Like even uh, like a lot of the people living in Spain today, if like you hear last names ending in "es," Sanchez, Ramirez, those are all German names. Hmm. Um, like, uh, Rodriguez was one I looked into. It's like, as means son of, and, uh, Rodrigo is a very old German name, meaning hmm. like river king. So if your last name is Rodriguez, you're the like, son of Rodrigo. Yep. Son of, <laughs> son of the river king. And that's huh. like uber German. Like I, I've never heard of name quite that German before. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. but of course they adopted a lot of Roman customs moving there. So it's the Roman empire lived on in some organized fashion for long after it fell. So that's a funny thought because going back to our previous thought about um, pre-World War II, how there was sort of less homogeny, um, in, in essence, we might be mistaken because, you know, a couple thousand years ago, the Roman Empire kind of had its own little melting pot effect. But then it almost seems like these, so there's almost like a um, unification period, right? And cultures start to mingle mm-hmm. a little bit and homogenize, <laughs> homogenize. And, and and then perhaps there's a period of decentralization re um isolation i hate to say it that way not necessarily isolation but re concentration um which i almost feel like is sort of happening which is why like the homesteading community is yeah. so like Vibrant. attractive and oh, vibrant yeah. right now is because I it's think government is giving out free seats <clears throat> to some people in some is that right? yeah i've heard that hmm. um so it's kind of funny the way that works it's even like our own government is kind of pushing yeah, well, pushing us to be self-sufficient well I, i'm not i don't know how much i trust it i mean probably in some states that don't seem to hate their citizens so much but i know that like uh in indiana i was seeing ads um a couple months back for like Bayer to which owns Monsanto to right. uh, giving out grants to help people start their own farms and like no I I know these people I know what you do I'm not taking that grant yeah 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 there might be a stipulation in there mm-hmm. um, there are good programs I can say um, like I helped with a crew that was putting up greenhouses you know hoop houses yeah for small organic farms and most of them were at least half funded by grant money. Uh, through the RNDC, the or no, that's the, not the RNDC, the um, NRDC, is that it? Natural Resources Defense Council? I think that's it. Um, it's a government agency that basically is focused in soil conservation. Um, Interesting. And I didn't know such a thing existed. Yeah, so they, they do give out grant money for basically... You can get grant money to put in swales on a on a certain scale. What, what is um, a swale? Oh, you guys are into permaculture and you don't know about oh. swales. We're new to per- we are new to permaculture. Well, it's funny because perma yeah, it's almost like the um, like the stereotypical permaculture technique. Okay, oh, and it almost gets overused or overplayed um, because it's something that you learn about in every PDC. Which, if you haven't taken a PDC, it's worth maybe looking into even just an online one, uh, permaculture design course. Mm-hmm. It's a good good program. Um, but a swale is, in essence, a ditch on contour, and the on contour is the the key. That means it's on a level 
plane of altitude. So on a hillside, it would have a curve, right? So you're at 354 feet above sea level and you traverse a piece of land and you stay at 354 feet above sea level. You mark that contour line. Mm -hmm. You know, you imagine like a topographic map has all these curved lines showing the terrain. It's just like that. So you map out the contours, you dig a ditch or a swale, uh, and you basically you take that material from the ditch that you excavate and you pile it up into a berm. You create this kind of sine wave on the hillside. And what it does is it catches water, right? Because water travels downhill, but it, if it hits a flat plane, it's going to level out and spread. Mm-hmm. And one of the main permaculture design principles is to capture and store water or to uh, slow, at least slow and spread water. I think, I believe it's said to capture and store energy, but water is just one form of energy. So instead of letting it flow downhill and run off into the neighbor's yard or what have you, you dig this swale, you slow it down, you spread it out and it allows it to infiltrate and then you basically, you plant the berm and it's a prime place for fruit trees, nut trees, because it's always kind of self-irrigating. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, instead of the water running off, it stops. The tree actually has a chance to soak it up. And uh, so the swale is like, like I said, kind of the poster child for permaculture of like, it's a super practical uh, technique that hasn't really been done in American like industrial ag, but they're starting to figure out that even on a grand industrial scale, mm-hmm. you put swales on a land a landscape that even from a distance, it might look relatively flat. Uh, you put these swales and it actually boosts productivity, you know, markably. So mm-hmm. you can get grants to do swales. You can get grants to do greenhouses. Um, I'm not going to say that like, I'm a fan of government, but (laughs) of all the things they do, this is like a decent thing. Um, But we could obviously do that without the state. We could do that with... Is that the hippies version of like bread and circus from the government? (laughs) Well, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, it's a realistic, practical recognition that soil conservation and food production are like serious fucking issues. Oh, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of like the whole thing about even though I'm against government, like not all people in government are evil. Like some of them are doing the job that they were sort of told to do, mm-hmm. uh, but it's still a bureaucratic nightmare. And uh, but anywho, no, there's something to be said for if you're starting a small scale farm, like looking into those programs, getting what you can out of them, and you know if you can get a greenhouse that's half paid for, like rock and roll, yeah, you know, for sure, yeah. yeah. I but anywho uh that's my little rant that was a good one (laughs) it was definitely informative so i guess maybe we transition then uh i know like you guys have some interesting like well i guess some interests uh specifically in like i know brianna you said like what was it um non-violent parenting yeah uh, so I think I've heard this phrase yeah. before. Like the NAP. Um, have you okay. heard, are you familiar with that term? 
the nap. I, I feel like the non-aggression that's non-aggression principle. principle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a pretty well-known anarchist phrase. Right. Depending, I guess, on which anarchist branch you kind of fall into. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. So, yeah, I mean, um, take it away. <laughs> so, what is the nap, and how does it apply towards parenting? Uh, yeah, so uh, the NAP stands for the non-aggression principle, mm-hmm. and um, basically, it's it's pretty plain and simple. Just don't act violently towards people. Don't use violence or force to get your way. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely try to promote communicating to solve problems. Mm-hmm. Um, just don't be an ape is pretty good. <laughs> well, and extending this exact same right that we you know seem to believe in many other facets of life to children. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, mm-hmm. we're adults. If you and I had a disagreement, we wouldn't, you know, start beating the shit out of each other, hopefully. Hopefully. Um, you know, but there's really no reason why we can't apply that exact same principle to children. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, you know, most people, like, statistically, most people got hit as kids. Yeah. Um, and it's just our belief that, like, you know, if you raise kids using violence, they're going to learn to use violence when they grow up. Right, right. It stands to reason. It's pretty logical. Yeah. I mean, it's a pretty cold example, but I guess, like, if you go to your job and your boss wants you to work harder, they want you to do jobs better, they're not going to come over and swipe you if you're not doing it properly. Well, they might, uh, you know, 50, 100 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Well, the difference is that, you know, with children is that you don't have a choice mm-hmm. in who is, you know, controlling you. True. Yeah. True. And that's really that's really my biggest thing is, um, I mean, I'm more of like a voluntarist, like we've talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm kind of in the anarchist sphere, so I believe in the non-aggression principle in my everyday relationships. But particularly, I think it starts in the home with your own children. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way that we can kind of evolve forward is through how we model to our children. Pretty basic. No doubt, no doubt. Um, you know, I thought it was interesting how you said like not not be apes. Yeah, <laughs> you phrased it that way, and I I, I think it's funny because you know I was listening to Jordan Peterson. I want to um, get back to the land, but not be apes. <laughs> yeah, well, so but there's, I almost say that we're not giving apes their due. Yeah. Okay. So Jordan Peterson was talking about how I believe it was um, chimpanzees actually. Mm-hmm. So the quote unquote like alpha in a pack of chimps do you call it a pack i think I it's a troop a troop a troop um you would think it's simply the most dominant mm-hmm. the strongest even the most brutal like chimpanzees can be quite violent um they will murder <laughs> each other they'll literally you know. go to war like they go to war all yeah. of the males yep. from different troops different troops kill yep each yep other. yep they're 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 you know our two closest uh you know primate relatives are chimpanzees and bonobos. We got a gorilla behind us on the television here. Perfect. But no, it's so chimpanzees and bonobos. And bonobos are like free love, like just fucking each other nonstop. And like, uh, and chimpanzees are kind of more warlike. Um, and not to say that we are just some like amalgamation of the two, but we have similarities to both. And the funny thing, or the interesting thing about chimpanzees, that Jordan Peterson points out is that it's not necessarily the most brutal or the you know strongest male that ends up in charge. Uh, it's often the most reciprocal. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. they they will even observe like the alpha chimp uh, grooming the other male chimps, yeah. like often and like like they're almost the most reciprocal. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just in terms of like a case for voluntarism. Yeah. Okay, it's not to say there is not a place for violence at at certain points. For sure. Yeah. But like the best practice, if you want to. I don't know, like have social success basically is not to be, you know, violent by default. It's to be like reciprocal by default, which is kind of the non-aggression principle of like, um, don't steal stuff. Don't hurt people. Like, uh, never enter into any exchange that isn't fully consensual. Yeah. Right. That definitely does not equate to don't protect yourself or your loved ones. We're definitely not pacifists, peaceful but not harmless. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Well, that's it's an important distinction. Those are harmonious factors. Yeah, it's funny. We were we saw Jordan Peterson in Indianapolis this last week. Was it? I saw you post that. I saw you post that, and I didn't even know he was coming. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Where? I wish I would have told you. Where was that? The old National Center in Indy. What? What? We locals call the the Murat. The Murat. So I'm not a local. I've never heard that term. But it's an amazing show. Yeah, the Murat. um, It's an old venue. Uh, Used to be, I believe, managed by the Shiners. Shiners. Oh, they're a Mason organization. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, kind of one of these. Kind of one of these fraternal like uh, organizations. They're the ones that wear the fezes. Yeah. But I believe the Murat was uh, founded by by. Yeah, the uh, the Shiners. Ah. <laughs> Anywho, uh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a really cool place. That it's building. Nice. Yeah. I love the painted windows. They're pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But so, he made that example. He, he was talking about that, yeah. Yeah. And um, he was talking about that when it comes to, like, men and women selecting their partners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he, he's got a lot of opinions that, to me, sound like good, solid common sense. But, like, in our current day and age, uh, you know, he's made out to be some kind of radical, some kind of, like, um, you know, uh, what's the word, like? contrarian i suppose but it's like he's basically pointing out the obvious well it's a lot also of the time. disappointing because i mean he makes it very clear which is one of the which is one of the things that really draws me to jordan peterson despite having some disagreements with some things he says sure um, or models um but one of the things that he constantly talks about is that he's trying to figure it out just as much as everybody else mm-hmm. so it's kind of what the purpose of his shows is that's why he does them and like mm-hmm. you, when we saw him like you could very clearly see like he's using the audience like as a way of working out his thoughts sort and of as a sounding board yeah basically yeah. and like his his daughter michaela came out uh, to do the introduction beforehand and made the comment that every single night he does one of these shows somehow it's a completely different show it changes every time huh yeah yeah because his thoughts evolve and um no i i kind of get that from him like a certain humility in his own knowledge yeah. um or understanding of kind of like it not being too fixed. Yeah, um, I think that we as a society have a, a bit of an obsession with branding. Like, if you think about a lot mm-hmm. of like public figures, they're kind of well known for a brand. They've got a certain thing that they say or a certain set of beliefs that you know they're people go and listen to them for that specific reason. 
Whereas I really like Jordan Peterson because, you know, he's taking in new data and trying mm-hmm. to work with that new data constantly. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really, you know, he does talk a lot about how, um, you know, basically his goal is to pursue truth endlessly and to pass that on to others. And yeah, I deeply agree with trying to take in new information as you go and just work with that data, you know. So could you give a like example of something that you have heard him say that you wouldn't necessarily agree with? I mean, you said you said you have you have certain things that you don't. Um, well, that's really funny because we went when we went to go see him, um one of the principles or, or one of the first rules from his book was essentially to not mess with like a structure or like a religious system that's been it's like, put don't in place. Don't denigrate, don't carelessly denigrate uh, like traditions and structures built around them or something. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's rule two in his new book. Basically, unless you really have something better to offer. Which is you know? sort of an anti anarchist stance. yeah for sure yeah, yeah. but he, he makes some interesting points it's like you know if a tradition exists if an if an ancient structure like a church exists it's there for a reason mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it is, might be a totally reasonable um an accusation to say that it has exhausted its usefulness but mm-hmm. if we get rid of it and don't understand why it was there in the first place we're probably going to hurt ourselves which is a, a reasonable case to be made like the whole issue of um sort of our generation abandoning religion yeah. to a large extent and not um, realizing the harmful consequences that yeah. would have because we didn't we didn't replace it with anything right the lack of a um, good alternative you know you see a you see a lot of folks uh, in their 20s and 30s sort of grasping for uh, meaning in all sorts of things you know uh, and I think it's only natural but it's I've come around a little bit on the issue of religion and in that I think it does provide a structure that is inherently like helpful to some people at certain times. Um, I believe permaculture honestly can serve that role uh, to some extent. Interesting. I, I think the, the purposefulness of it, um, you know, I think religion helps people find purpose by guiding them through decision-making with a set of principles. And I think permaculture behaves very similarly. Um, but I think it, there's a lack of sort of a higher um, plane with permaculture that people crave. We are spiritual beings, uh, and permaculture is very, like, in the dirt, practical, like... Yeah, getting um, close to the land is very yeah. spiritual, for sure. <clears throat> but I think by practicing permaculture, it's inherently spiritual. Um, right. So I... I've always thought that there, there's kind of like this missing component with the permaculture sphere, like a collective spiritual um, consensus about just the importance of this stuff, right? right? Like everybody kind of knows it and feels it like permaculture matters. Um, but I think everybody's been reluctant because there is a lot of uh, the more atheistic, uh, you know, 60s hippie kind of influence. So I think people are reluctant to use the word God in the permaculture space. But I think what they are doing is 
you know, following the the old Bible verse of being the hands and feet of Christ, right? Like, you know, there's a million Bible verses about sort of live it, right? And permaculture is very much like to the exclusion of worship and and prayer. It is very much like we are the ones who must maintain and, and cultivate this, this earth, yeah. you know? So I don't know. I'd love to see some sort of spiritual blossoming in that space. Yeah. And I almost see like the potential for Christianity to be the vessel of sorts. Uh, you know, I, I've become more and more interested with like ortho, Orthodox Christianity. I don't know how much you guys yeah, I'm somewhat familiar. familiar. I, I'm no. not an Orthodox Christian myself. Well, it's just, I see a lot of people moving towards Orthodox. People are moving that way. Yeah. Like people who I've come to respect and listen to, uh, I believe Buck Johnson. Do you guys listen to Counterflow? Mm-hmm. I think he went Orthodox. Um, Tom Woods. Well, they're setting the tone, really, is what's going on. Yeah. There's a lot of Orthodox um, families who are really setting the tone when it comes back to like you, you were saying earlier, just getting closer to the land and bringing back the um, gardening and self-sufficiency and things like that. Well, And in, I guess permaculture in a way. In my limited knowledge, I think what separated the Orthodox uh, Church. So way back in the Great Schism where Protestants and Catholics split up. It was it was the Greek Orthodox and the uh, Latin, the, the Roman Catholic. The Roman Church. Catholic, yeah, yeah. There, the Protestant Reformation was uh, was that later, a, over a little over a thousand years after that. Okay, so you know more than me, um, but it sounds like in the main distinction that like the Orthodox Church has always been decentralized, like no higher, no no hierarchy outside of the local church, really, like no no collective government organization right um, the once the catholic church was founded they they had a pope and right the, even the pope like would dictate you know who would be the bishops or whatever in different areas whereas the um orthodox is as i understood it, at least at the time they would you know have church elders um, i don't remember what the title was but they would get together and convene on things but there wasn't that same hierarchy yeah, so not like there's no organization, but there there's no I think there's no higher place than like your local um, hierarchy, whatever you want to call it, like your your elders and your priest. Like there is no there is no pope. There is no even if there is um, some sort of network or some sort of organization between the churches, it's not like there's a decision maker that can dictate to the to the people on the ground so i i just found that fascinating if that is the true distinction it's like well shoot that's a pretty important distinction like no wonder i've never been really attracted to like catholicism because it's very top down Mm -hmm. dictatorial like whoever's in charge calls the shots and um if there's this whole other kind of christianity now i was raised protestant I was raised in like the non-denominational space, uh, mega church, you know, and so I kind of like rebelled against that With because like lots just, of passionate singing and very over the top <laughs> rock, rock and roll for Jesus, you know, like uh, fog machines and lasers and shit, you know, and it's like it's it, it, well, you know, it kind of was, but it like to me, I always kind of felt like it was like kind of cheap and like just over the top. A little like hollow, it's a little kind bit of pushy, right? Yeah, very evangelical and very like 
trying to be cool to attract like the the suburban <laughs> yeah. folk, you know, like trying to be hip, trying to be, you know, edgy, but like, you know, so there's like a lack of tradition there yeah. or a lack of um, depth, a lack, lack of, of like honesty. honesty. It, it felt kind of contrived at times. Yeah. Right. And so like I have gone to Catholic mass. I, I've gone to Episcopalian services and there's something to like that style that's like very beautiful and very like I don't know attractive, but parts of it at the same time are very um, I don't know. I I I am toying with going to an Orthodox service just to see what it's all about. Um, but all that said, are you guys like religious at all, or what? What would you say? You want to start? Oh uh, yeah. You got to start off with how you were raised Catholic. <laughs> okay. After um, I just talk a bunch of smack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm not Catholic, so there's that. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess um, when I was a kid, I was split evenly between my two parents. I lived in two t- st- separate states, so I grew up half in Massachusetts and half in Vermont. Uh, my father in Vermont, was he was a devout Christian, but... What sect of Christianity, I don't know, because it was constantly changing. He was just, like, taking me to new churches all the time Mm -hmm. and basically putting me in these new situations, which I guess was, in some kind of messed up ways, I guess it was good for me. Well, it's like um, exposure. Like, you you get to see it all. Yeah, it's like throwing your kid in a pool and being like, swim. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Yeah. 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 (laughs) And then on my mother's side, she married into uh, a Catholic family. They... Um, her husband, her new husband, his parents were from Italy and they were straight off the boat, devout Catholics. So, um, we didn't really go to church regularly. I mean, we, we really went to church for the main holidays, though they did say they were very spiritually invested in the Catholic church. I mean, prayer was extremely important in our house Mm -hmm. and holidays were extremely important. Um, and just kind of following, um, Catholic rules with like, I don't want to say just kind of moral Catholic rules were very important around the household, but then I would go back home to my uh, Christian father and it was very lax, you know? So for me, it was a little bit weird to go from an extreme to a very lax environment all the time. And I was very much in your situation where I was very rebellious against that. Like I remember from a very early age, probably around seven, saying, I'm an atheist and being Mm. very strongly willed about that for many years. But like you said, I I did really enjoy the church environment. I I enjoyed the stories most of all from Mm. the Christian church and the Catholic church. And I think I really deeply appreciated the stories because they talk so much about nature and they connected you with nature. And then also you have to think when you're in the church or when I was attending uh, CCD, like Sunday school classes, I was deeply immersed in a huge group of people to talk to and you're close to them and there's that community feel. And that's very nature oriented. That's that's very close to the land in a way. Mm-hmm. And so that's spiritual. Tell you what, that wind's really w- ripping. I'm just going to close this back door. <laughs> can you guys hear that coming through? Yeah, I can hear that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, TJ, why don't you tell us where you stand, if you would? Uh, sure. So um, I wasn't raised particularly religious. Like my uh, my family, we, we had a family church growing up. 
um, but I very rarely went unless it was like a baptism or a marriage. Um, so I, I grew up and I think in like middle school, I started to consider myself like an atheist because I was also an edgy teenager, like most other atheists at that age. Um, and it wasn't until... Whoa, sorry. <laughs> that was probably loud. A little bit. Um, you know, and then um, when I was in the military, I had a lot of religious friends because, you know, obviously I grew up in the Northeast around basically the same area that Brianna did. Um, and like that, those were the groups of people I knew, which tend to be more, um, I, I won't say they're like less spiritual, but a lot of them are, are in, at least in recent years, more like anti-Christian. Like it's, it's not weird up there to find Buddhist monasteries or whatever the Hindus call their worship structures. It's just, there's just of, more of that stuff. A lot of homogenate the word homogenization <laughs> yeah well it, it, it's Her. i mean it's like there's still churches everywhere there's a bunch of them in my hometown but i, I guess it's like most people don't really take it that seriously in okay. a certain way yeah. and a lot of I've, I've met a lot more people that believe in this idea that like all roads lead to god kind of a thing it's a moral posturing is what it is that's really how it felt um so it's like we have rules and that we that we follow and you know we're immoral but but not really so it, it wasn't something I, I grew up with um and then later on in life um when i was in the military you know i met a lot of religious friends a lot of people from the bible belt i went mm -hmm. to a bunch of church services and it didn't really jive with me but I, it, it did help get me into um studying you know theology from various um faiths from around the world to a certain extent um you know i, I learned a bit about you know buddhism and some of the more ancient faiths different pagan faiths um taoism to a certain extent yeah, yeah, and of yeah. course studying the history of Christianity, more so just for fun. Um, and then when we moved out to Arizona, or when I moved out to Arizona, um, I actually tried to join and was a part of for a few months, like a very evangelical church, like very similar to the one you were describing. Like we had, you know, a bassist, a guitarist, and they would sing their Jesus jams and all of that mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. before every service. And like, I went through the motions, but I never really felt it in my heart. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm still kind of studying that stuff. Um, you know, I, I have went through, like, I just recently I've read the Tao Te Ching, like, three times now. Yeah. Almost. Taoism um, is very interesting. It is yeah. interesting, and it's or like... Taoism, I mean, however you want to say it. Um, according to the Tao, it doesn't matter how you spell it, because the Tao that is written <laughs> is not the eternal Tao. Uh, um, it's like that... one of the first lines in the book. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I have the Tao of Pooh up here somewhere, I think. Nice. That's a good read. Have you have you read that? I have not. Oh, you should. It's um, it's Winnie the Pooh, uh, explaining Taoism. <laughs> hmm. That probably would have been much easier. <laughs> it is. It is. It's like it's very digestible. Yeah, it's yeah, been yeah. Very sweet. Yeah. It's like, I uh, I have. I'm in that mindset at the moment where um, a lot of it, uh, like I'm kind of looking at everything in the world through the Taoist lens because I've just read the book and I've read it a lot and I've, mm -hmm. I find it very fascinating. I find it very spiritually meaningful and because it's it's a lot of simple principles that to you know more anarchistic minded people like ourselves mm -hmm. make a lot of sense. Like. Mm -hmm. It goes to a point of talking about, you know, acting through non-acting is a huge thing that they talk about. Sort of neutral chi, right? Or, yeah. Basically. And, you know, there doesn't necessarily need to be a violent pushback of everything. If somebody mm -hmm. is going to be a leader, the best leaders are the ones who don't go out of their way to use force in everything. Mm -hmm. 
and sometimes um, the best thing you know in permaculture we say observe first yeah you know and, you know observe and interact is the first principle i find that there is some overlap with Ta- you know taoism and anarchy um in that like every every pr- principle kind of has its dual or its like balance to it and um <laughs> like with observe and observe and interact they're kind of like it's it's opposites of the same what do you think is what this is off topic what is balance to you that's something i've been thinking about a little lately well like i i i was very fascinated with the idea of duality for mm-hmm. a while um it's an idea that i kind of like obsessed over uh in that and i i, th- I believe this comes straight from taoism uh, to a large it's, extent it's yeah. the it's the yin and yang mm-hmm. right like it's it's um the fact that equal and opposite, like one thing, two separate energies within it. That is one thing it, it does talk about, a, a, you know, to a certain extent um, is like um, one of them is like to, to know the masculine but keep the feminine. It's to understand mm-hmm. those two energies. Mm-hmm. It was actually later philosophers that really, you know, created the the yin and yang mm-hmm. shape to it Carl young talked about a, a lot about duality mm-hmm. as well and how like symbols like within taoism and other religions as well usually contain their opposites in a certain way mm-hmm. um but i think a lot of the times when you think of balance i think that people think about like the fir- like the perfect like even on both sides of whatever we're talking about when we're talking about balance or duality mm-hmm. and yeah. i think it's a it's not like that it's just kind of it, it is more so of the shifting of things. Like, yeah. you know, if you live on the prairie in United States or Canada, like one of the things that keeps balance or is supposed to is wildfires. Mm-hmm. It is actually totally natural for wildfires to mm-hmm. sweep through <laughs> a wildfire to the point where a lot of those plants can survive a good fire. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is sort of one of the ways that nature corrects itself in that environment. So it's not that everything is always in this beautiful state of harmony, but yeah. that it is often kind of shifting to seek that equilibrium. Mm-hmm. So I've, I have, um, multiple times, at least two or three times I've had visuals of the, of the yin and yang might've had some like psychedelic influence, <laughs> you know, when this happened, but Maybe. like, but I always saw it in motion and as like sort of a shifting blob, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. And ideally, ideally it's spinning in harmony, but sometimes it, grows over here and shrinks over there and sometimes it shifts back and and sometimes it slows down sometimes it speeds up and it you know it's those those vivid like visuals have helped me kind of like see that basically in my opinion like with anything with any interaction with any i don't know any anything period if it's not like spinning in harmony it will strive to spin yeah. in harmony. So as much as you might pull it one way, eventually it's going to snap back the other. So in the case of like the prairies and the lack of fire or the, you know, the lack of fire in the ecosystem in general right now, because of our poor management over the last hundred years, like the longer we go without the fires, the worse the fire becomes and the bigger the fire becomes. Yeah, it's it's just natural that, you know, it, it, I think it applies across the board. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
And that is kind of the point yeah. of, of the Tao in a lot of ways. Is yeah. These are, it's like the way, what it describes the Tao as, Tao is usually uh, translated as, or the Tao Te Ching is usually, the words themselves are translated as like the way of goodness and its virtue. And what it is trying to explain, even though it it mentions in the first few lines that it is not something that can be fully explained, it's, it's essentially only, the only way to truly understand it is to have a feeling. And it can't be expressed in words, but it's like, there is some kind of cosmic force in the universe, many forces probably, that are that make the world a certain way. Mm-hmm. And there are certain things you can do to be more in line with the Tao um, and very things that are obviously out of line with the Tao and mm-hmm. that those going out of those ways or not being with the Tao will force you back to it and sometimes not always in the most pleasant ways yeah. mm-hmm. um and it kind of brings up what we were talking about earlier with um you know the monkeys the chimpanzees mm-hmm. if that you have an alpha leader that is using an overwhelming amount of force it's going to wait cause you know two smaller ones just to wait until that one monkey has a bad day and then they'll go and kill him and mm-hmm. to sort of like reset Reference that equilibrium to, to what peterson was saying yeah that's exactly what peterson said it was actually what he talked about when we went and saw him uh this past week so it brings me to thinking about anarchism yeah okay because part of me thinks that i i cannot fully and should not fully be an anarchist yeah. like to death like yeah, only yeah, yeah, anarchism yeah. my it's thing it's a vessel it's a vehicle to get mm-hmm. you from one place to the other when it's you know when it's that season you know it's yes yeah. yes so like i've argued that when the day comes that i see the the need for anarchy yeah. well no i'm i'm saying the other way around oh yeah when the day comes that i see the need for government I will actively participate in the formation of it to some extent. That's like when there's a if good there's, COVID vaccine. Just kidding. Just well, kidding. okay, and I'm just playing a thought game here. I'm not even sure if I'm if I'm saying my thought quite correctly, but like right now I see that there's only too much. Yeah. There's only too much. So why beat around the bush? I will call myself the other. You know, like I am against what we have too much of. I'm trying to be the white side of the of the yin and yang when government has swelled and become this dark side to our you know like the white pill guys <laughs> i mean you know what i mean and um but like the day that i settle into a community and it's our thousand folks and we want to form some level of self governance you know i think my anarchism would guide my beliefs as to what that form of governance should be and um but like i don't want to come out and just say like blanket all government is evil as we were talking like the the natural resources defense council they do a decent thing now they're one of us you know it's like i've always said the park service is a pretty like ambivalent government agency but even there, there's unintended consequences to locking up vast swaths of land. Of course. You know, there's always going to be an, like an unintended consequence when you take the position of like a management of like centralized decision making. Um, so, I, I mean, I genuinely believe that like the more decentralized we can make things in general, the better. But I'm... 
I'm reluctant. Like I said, I, I believe anarchism is sort of a balancing act. It's a recognition of reality in my mind. Like I am advocating for not not the total like destruction of government, but basically the the search for something better, if that makes sense. But I feel like I'm no, I I understand what you're saying. To me, it's yeah. more so like we we have natural law, and right. one reason that we care so much about peaceful parenting is we believe that if you know we could raise kids in a peaceful manner, um, they'll grow up I to. I don't even think it should be called peaceful. Well, you know, it should just be called parenting. You know? Right, but Amen. but right yeah. now it is something that is very much different and on the fringe so it does kind of need its own name it needs its name for at, now at it's a vessel it's time. anarchy it's anarchy for parenting but uh right. yeah it's anarchy for parenting um you know we can have that and we can have people sort of want to follow natural law in that way and not I'm, i've never been like in um you know violent overthrow kill everything kind of a person I'm more so mm-hmm. like we can we have all of these principles we just need to actually discipline ourselves to use them and we can sort of outgrow the need for the state. Because yeah. I am somebody that mm-hmm. does believe that right now, with humanity being where it is, we, we probably do need some kind of a government. I don't know if I'll ever see an anarchistic Earth in my life. Um, mm-hmm. I would like to see us move more towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that at this time, unfortunately, we do need something like that. But we have to learn how to not need it. Well, need need is a funny word. It's like, do we need the heroin, right? We're hooked on it. That's how it is. We're hooked on the drug of government. Like, they make our lives easier while also making our lives more difficult Mm -hmm. and more miserable. But to use that as as an example, if you just had your shoulder replaced, you might really want some kind of opiate-based drug. (laughs) Yeah, I I get it. I get it. That's the thing. Like, it's a tool. It's a thing. It's a whatever. It's something that we've become accustomed to using. How How do we use it less? How do we get away from it? How do we... Again, self-govern, you know, like how do we separate, become more and more autonomous, I think is, is, and that's what you're trying to do as a parent, right? Is you're trying to raise somebody to be more and more autonomous. Yeah, you might, in the early years, you have to manage them a fair amount. You know, they're fairly uh, dependent, let's say. Absolutely. You know, so that's what upsets me about government a lot of times is the feeling like, well, who are you? You're not my fucking dad like (laughs) don't tell me what to do (laughs) well yeah i mean well there's a difference between like wanting your child to live to to have more self-autonomy and also knowing recognizing where the collective is going to be useful for them too Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. it's funny we started off this conversation moving back to getting closer to the earth and getting back to i don't i I like to say more traditional roots for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word Mm-hmm. But getting back to traditional roots is is getting in touch with our communities and things like that. And so I think that we should raise children to be open to ideas. Like the attack on Jordan Peterson for just pursuing truth, essentially. Mm-hmm. We need to encourage conversations of, of anything that's uncomfortable to talk about, basically. So we can talk about religion. We can talk about our political leanings, our anarchy, and and know its place when it's time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I those things. I I kind of think about like the issue of how how to treat kids, yeah. um, because I think there 
the norm is to kind of treat kids as like less than human almost like yeah. like ways, like yeah. they're not even a person but like they are a person yeah and the question of like so how much autonomy do you give to a child I well think like you, yeah. a little bit at a time you but give them always, what they can handle yeah what they yeah. can handle as you know and maybe as just much as they can handle when they can handle peterson it. says like a little more than they can handle in yeah. terms of language you yeah. always speak high you know a little bit higher than their speaking ability um, but like the issue of, I, I think there is a pandemic of like parenting that just is kind of like, how do you say this? It's very tricky, right? There's a lot of things I could say, but I want to know what you have to say. <laughs> parenting that has, um, almost become an all or nothing kind of game. And let me like expand on that a yeah, little work bit. Through it. So like. We obviously see a lot of people who are the helicopter parent mm-hmm. slash like, um, you know, will will enable the child to never leave the nest mm-hmm. kind of thing. It's very common now. Like, love at it at any cost. Just like, never ever gonna like. Just live in your parents' basement until you're thirty. Yeah, well, and like so, like <laughs> a, a lack of discipline, or you see like the highly disciplined like. You're going to become what I tell you to become. Going into the military. You're going to become a damned lawyer or a doctor or this, that, and the other. You know, so it's like the, there's 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 those. It's like the tiger parent kind of thing that you hear from, like, East Asia a lot. Like, if you're if you're not a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, like, you're not, you're not accepted in the family to a certain yeah. extent. And I don't know. I guess just the issue of, like... So when we're talking about like nonviolent parenting, like how to be a good voluntarist of a parent, like it's not about spanking or this or that. Really, I don't think it is. It's more about, I mean, obviously you're not going to be an abuser first and foremost in any way, psychologically, physically. But like when it comes to how do you discipline, like it's a very important question and like, um, doing it in a way that's sort of in alignment with voluntarism. You know, I think like Peterson preaches about this kind of stuff all the time. Like you have to negotiate with your child basically and say like, okay, well, if you're going to throw a tantrum, then you're going to have to do something you don't like to do, or you're not going to get something that you want to have. And, but you have to like reason with the child as a person, as their own person, basically. Yeah, right. where they're competent, like where yeah. their age competency is at. I, I think a lot of the issues, basically, to maybe summarize it, the thought is like, a lot of it comes from this misguided idea that parents have, oftentimes, that like, this other person is, in some way, and always will, like, belong to, you know, it belongs my to property. me. It's my property. <laughs> yeah. That's mine. That's, I birthed it. Yeah. And, and I gave you your life. I can take it from you kind of an attitude. Yeah. And like. It's such an evil thing to say. It is. It is. And But like I think that just. That kind of gets into the brain in all varying degrees. As like. A lack of. I think it almost has more to do with a lack of personal autonomy on the okay. parent's part than it does on it's the child's. Lack, it's a lack of self-awareness, yeah. But, like, to have the ability to give your child full autonomy, you must first have full autonomy in your yeah. own mm-hmm. in well, your own skin, in your own life, right? Yeah, like, that's the thing is, like, 
I don't even believe in full autonomy. I mean, when it comes to like discipline and boundaries. And I think often when I bring up peaceful parenting with people, they automatically cringe because they think I'm going to talk about that helicopter parent that you're talking about Mm -hmm. or like the mom who just like couldn't care less what her kids do. Or this is kind of like, I don't know if this is going to start up a conversation, but like unschooling, like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, where there's no boundaries at all. And that's not what I mean. I think peaceful parenting, I mean, in your loving relationships from day to day, you have boundaries. There's, there's a disciplinary aspect in where you're getting what you need from your partner and your partner is giving you what you need. It's, mm. it's a kind of like, it, it's a voluntary contract basically. But the difference is that with children is they don't choose you as a mm-hmm. parent. They don't mm-hmm. get that choice and who their parent is and you brought them into the world. So it's your obligation to do absolutely the best you possibly can by them. Mm. And that does mean setting boundaries because that is that is love and that is a good solid upbringing yeah yeah and explaining like why those boundaries exist like one example the um at an age appropriate level yeah like if you're a kid you know you take your kid out for ice cream one day and ice cream is delicious we all love ice cream and then the next night you try to feed them something that's actually nourishing and they go well i don't want this i want ice cream cream. (laughs) rather than hitting them and saying no eat what i make you or starve or something like that as an extreme example you you explain to them like look i like ice cream as much as you do i would love to eat that for every meal as much as you do maybe even more but i'm your parent and i have to feed you these nourishing foods and the reasons for that are obvious i want you to grow up to be you know, healthy, wealthy, and wise. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I can't feed you ice cream kind of a thing. And if you right. start off with that kind of an attitude, young life, a lot of people that practice this kind of method, they don't really have their kids throwing temper tantrums. They don't mm. have that same problem. And self-love doesn't exactly look like lush bath bombs. <laughs> it looks more like, yeah. I'm going to eat healthy tonight, and then yeah. I'm going to go out and have pizza with my friends tomorrow or something like that. Right. Well, it makes me think like, so I have nieces and nephews and uh, you know, it's, I, I, my family says, you're so great with these kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, cause I treat them. Cause I'm like, an anarchist. It, it kind of <laughs> is. It kind of is. It's cause I'm a voluntarist and it's cause I look them in the eye and I'd like talk to them like they're, like they're a person. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't talk down to them. I don't baby talk them. Like, you know, when I play with them, I'm like. You know, I, like, I'm playful, but like, you know, I, I treat him like a, like, I respect him. I respect him, you know? And not just like, because he's probably going to be taking care of you when you're a senior citizen. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> hey, man, you know, who's to say? Who's to say? But no, it, it's it's not that hard to, like, treat kids like they're... Um, their own human like beings. Like they're their own human. Personalities. You can still treat them like a kid, yeah. but you, you don't Age have to... You don't have to be condescending and like exactly yeah, yeah. and um I, i've always found like i've worked summer camps and i've worked with kids quite a bit and i've always found kids are way smarter than we give them credit for well, for sure in a nutshell well, you kids know? have this ability to be absolutely honest with you mm-hmm. and upfront you know my it was so funny my my nephew said right as i'm putting my boots on to to head out no filters. After dinner, he says, how come you're always so dirty? <laughs> and I said, because I work in the dirt. He said, huh. I said, yeah, you know what gardening is? He says, yeah. He says, I, I do that all day. And then I come here, I have dinner, and I'm still dirty. But, you know. But it's like he grows up in a 
in a nice area. He's never yeah. seen anybody except me that just yeah. is like. He's just observing. Yeah, he's just, and it's an honest, valid question. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And maybe if an adult asked that, that'd be considered impolite. A little we, impolite. We have to yeah. remember, you yeah. know, this is a kid that hasn't been taught, like, you don't really ask those questions a lot of the time. Well, so I almost prefer that he does, you yeah, know? Exactly. I almost prefer that he does because sometimes you know people he's are. making an observation, you know? Yeah. I'll be totally brutal. You know, I'll be honest here. Um, I, I try not to, like, be too personal about my family life and stuff, but just for example, uh, I found it interesting because I, I have a tattoo that nobody in my family had seen, and you know I'm I'm out in the hot tub with the kids, and they're like, "What's that?" Oh yeah, check it out. And uh, my my two brother in laws they come out, they're like, "Hey, did you get a tat?" It's like, "Yeah, yeah, check it out." And uh, and I go inside, I'm like toweling off, like about to go change, and I see my mom look at it. And kind of like, do do one of those. And then she looks at me, and I'm looking at her, and she doesn't say a word. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just, it's funny. Like, I I approve of the honest, brutal, like, I kind of, I think it would have been funny if my mom had been like, what the hell is that? (laughs) But instead, she was like, kind of being polite and reserved. And, um, because she loves me so much. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to like upset me. Yeah. You know, but it's like, no, call me out. Like, yeah, yeah. what the fuck? <laughs> right. But that's just one example. Um, there's a lot of ways I think that you can, you can just like treat your child um, as you would almost treat anybody. Yeah. Even, even though, especially because of the fact yeah. that they're your kid. For sure. In a, and you in a know them. You know them to a degree because <clears throat> your mind is in their minds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that I used to be very rigid about being on people. Like if they, I knew they were gonna, they were about to become a parent, I would be like, oh, well, you got to read more books. you got to do the podcast and like mm-hmm. learn about peaceful parenting and become a good parent. And I still kind of am about that like I want to spread the information around I want people to be self-aware about like what they're getting themselves into with kids because it's not just kids that you're spreading this the trauma to if you don't know what you're mm-hmm. doing at all mm-hmm. but you're making your life just like a living hell too and I mean when you think about trying to help people to become better parents it's not just about the kids like you really have to treat a person like they're involved in this too. This is a mm. this is a two person situation, or three. Um, but I think individualism. That's something that we talked about a lot when it comes to like anarchy and volunteerism and stuff like mm-hmm. that. People wanting to have more autonomy. Um, I think individualism is kind of new over this past hundred years or so, and we don't exactly know what to do with it. So. Mm. I felt very rigid for a while uh, about this stuff, and now I'm kind of more like laid back. If I'm talking to somebody about a situation that they're going through, I really try to be there for them emotionally, like where they're at, because we're all just trying to learn how to be individuals and how to raise our children to be self-thinking, you know, making our own choices and being autonomous and like that. Um, But if you think about it, there's that kind of duality that we're talking about earlier when it comes to um, like how to bring up your children, whether it's peacefully or not, because in the past, it wasn't really possible to raise your kids peacefully. Mm -hmm. I mean, 
during times of war when you or when you're devastated and you need to make uh, money you needed your children to help you on you know you're at your business or on your farm and kind of their lives also depended on it you know so even though there's responsibility in there of like how many kids you're having I mean I'm just saying like way back when in order for your kids to live they had to do a job and so you kind of had to be a lot more forceful with them in those types of ways but we're evolving now and we have more more time we don't have to worry about like being devastated as much by something and so there's a confusion about what to do with all this individual time and how to raise our kids to be individuals um but also not be like unschooled maniacs i guess well i you know i guess i, I you said a couple things in there that i'm inclined to push, push back on push back do on. um <laughs> so uh, give me a moment um, i know it was a lot sorry that's okay that's okay it's a lot at once so you said that it that individuality is a relatively modern thing I think so. If you look at philosophy, if you look at philosophy. I I have trouble with that idea. Only in that I imagine that as with anything, individuality is has a dual, is part of some dualistic relationship, probably with something akin to loyalty, right? So you have your individual nature and you have your loyal nature. You know, and this is what we're talking about with sort of um, friendship and like the the, the agreement that's made, um, you know, between people. Communal, the, the, the sort of unspoken natural law, natural law, the the unspoken contract of relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm thinking that every culture has had its different versions, whether that's tribal, like hunter-gatherer or like feudal they've had some way of negotiating this dualistic relationship within the human spirit um and some do it in an authoritarian way some do it in a more voluntarist kind of way you know the feudal lord sort of maintains peace by I don't know, in some ways stripping everybody of their individuality and and forcing them into a collective agreement and saying, if you don't do as what I say, you know, as the communal leader, uh, I will kill you or I will whatever. I will strip you of your lands and titles. I will what have you, Um, you know, versus I just don't think that's how every culture works. I believe there's always been this thing and. Probably the healthiest cultures by, you know, all accounts are ones that have struck a relatively steady balance of like personal freedom and like a sense of duty, you know, and, and at any point during that, that agreement, that relationship with your communal group, you should, and, and, you know, you should always have the the ability to opt out. Yeah. And I think, like, if we go back pre-industrial or pre-agricultural revolution, rather, let's go back 
you know, let's go back before civilization. I bet you there were plenty of folk who, in their little band of hunter-gatherers, would occasionally leave. Yeah. It's probably f- how humans propagated the entire planet. Yes, yes. And that's the individual deciding that I just I you know, I don't agree with this contract here. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go find some other folk. I you know, I can't I can't say that for certain, you yeah. know. I don't know how it worked, but I I imagine that it's just always been the same struggle at heart like people want to to be treated with dignity. They want to be treated as an individual with rights, in essence. For sure, yeah. Um, but they also want to be a part of a collective, yeah. you know, to some degree, as long as it is voluntary. For sure, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I'm trying to think. You you said something else, but I guess it doesn't matter. I <laughs> I just I I think that in terms of raising kids, like there have been periods of time where. Yes, you're probably right. That's that's what it was. You were saying it was almost impossible to raise your kids peacefully. There were probably times where it was difficult. Yeah. But I bet you the best parents always sort of by nature were, you know, peaceful parents with a certain like strategy for discipline that was dignified. Dignified, yeah. Because a kid that is treated with dignity... Reciprocal. Is, yeah. Yes. Reciprocity. So, like, in terms of raising the kids on the farm back during who's whatever time, colonial era, or wherever you want to put yourself in yeah. history. Uh, you know, hard times, but, you know, the, the family that stuck together did the best. Yeah. Right? They, there's a standard, right, mm-hmm. that's set. And it's not just for the child, it's for the parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think... Um, while, while certain folks probably did resort to violence as the means of you know coercion into into production mm-hmm. I don't think that was everyone and I don't think it was the the ones that necessarily succeeded right. you know I think we have these ideas we're, we're putting words to things that are basically instinct you know I think we all found our way to anarchy I would venture to guess by following our gut, <laughs> to a large extent because it's kind of like after you've worked through the problem and and canceled out all possible or all all impossibilities what are you left with the only possible answer and this idea of non-aggression of of complete like voluntarism it's it's a pretty simple yet profound statement that like zero times is coercion the answer or at least the best answer oh i don't agree with that i don't think zero zero times well that's the that's what an that's what a voluntarist would say so when is coercion okay um are you referring to with children or with adults yeah i'm I'm referring to with adults I'm, i'm not saying that coercion is ever okay with children so when does it okay when's it okay with adults well, and what do you define as coercion? I, I mean, guess. if you're in a situation where you you're gonna die, I mean, so I'm not talking about violence. I'm talking about coercion, which would I think if you looked up the definition, it would basically say to use like misleading, um, to to mislead somebody or to 
force them into something. I think unless you're in a situation where you're trying to protect your well-being or somebody you love's well-being, then coercion's really not... I don't see... If someone uses coercion against you first, in essence. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah, well, that I mean, that is the basic... Yeah. The basic argument. Non-aggression means you're never the aggressor, but doesn't mean you can't be aggressive when you have to be. For sure, yeah. Um, But... I guess in terms of just taking it back to like being a decent parent, I think like if your kid is screaming and having a temper tantrum, you have to choose the route of non, you know, even, even after they have aggressed you because they're a child and they don't know any better, you have to be the better person. Well, it's also a developing brain that you're dealing with. It's not fully there yet, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know? And we also believe that, like, um, when it comes to, like, the example of a kid throwing a temper tantrum is to um, teach them a certain level of emotional intelligence and, explain, and you know, get them to, you know, explore those emotions with themse- within themselves at a young age like, mm-hmm. and say, like, look, you may have a perfectly good reason for being angry um, and, like, here is how we can do constructive things with that anger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously something we all have to learn how to do ourselves first because it's mm-hmm. very difficult to teach that skill if you don't have it mm-hmm. um but you know that we believe that, that like that if we could teach that kind of skill to children then we simply wouldn't have most of these problems that we're dealing with today sure yeah yeah i'm 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 just of the opinion that basically like coercion is something that we kind of do um it's a it's a lesser instinct in some regards. It's like none of us are uh, are perfect, and we we often will manipulate people in our lives, like power struggles and whatnot. Yeah, even yeah. even without meaning to, oh, basically. Sure. But by recognizing what it is yeah. and like putting a name to it, coercion. Like, um, yeah. it's not always physical force. It's never you know. It, it can often be words or you know. It's psychology it's us playing games Um, but like i think i think uh in general so it's not you know it's not just with parenting but in general to have like a good healthy relationship with yourself with anybody like sticking to the non-aggression principle is a really good start um because the less you coerce if you actively try not to coerce if you try to express your desires your beliefs your your emotions to the person it's like in general that's a recipe for success yeah and using reciprocity if you do fall subject to your instincts i guess yeah 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 Yeah. by apologizing or writing writing what's been wrong Yeah, yeah yeah no it is it's it's just basically common sense but like by putting it as the highest objective you know that's what's interesting about this whole idea yeah. like this it's whole, funny with, yeah. with with parents and children often it's you know they'll tell children when they go out in the world like oh you've you've broken their toy you've got to go and apologize now but mm-hmm. it, you don't see them enacting the same type of reciprocity in their personal relationship with a child if they mm-hmm. make a mistake let's say they swear at them or if they end up hitting them or something that that stuff happens because like he mentioned earlier 
most of us were physically punished as kids. And it's mm-hmm. just really, it's hardly possible that that's not going to happen in your relationship with your child if mm-hmm. you've come out, depending on, like, the severity. It's it's really hard to get away from never doing that, but it's really important to try your very hardest not to and to make reprimands, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People are people. You know, yeah. sometimes we are, like... You know, we're apes. Apes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I kind of made that argument at one point about the Will Smith thing. It's like, I probably, yeah, it's like, (laughs) do I even really need to say anything about that bullshit? But yeah, I I honestly think a lot of it has to do with just Will Smith basically being an ape and like (laughs) loving his woman and like, you know, their love is weird. We all know it. But like, you know, he, he's a he's a gorilla, man. And he, he he puffed up his chest. And it's like, was it right? No. Like, he he violated the non-aggression principle. Like, he did. And I didn't maybe even say that. Um, maybe I should have. But like... Oh my gosh, toxic masculinity. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Well, you know, but that... It's like, everything gets labeled that. But it's like, it is... It's just our lesser instincts overpowering yeah. our, like, our better nature um so again like going back to you know i asked you like when is coercion right you basically said only if someone coerced or coerces you first well i guess you then you could say if you coerce then it's only okay if you're you know if you're truly sorry and you truly make a reprimand if it was unconscious but Generally, I like to avoid saying stuff like that because it turns into like an excuse merry-go-round. Like, for I anything. can do what I want as long as I you say know, apologize. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry for that. And as long as I get forgiveness from somebody, but that's not like you still have to actively try to not do those things. And you know, it's one of the things that obviously I think separates us from the apes is we do have that like higher reasoning. We're not just the uh, the instinct of I gotta punch Chris Rock because he called my wife bald kind of a thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, so I was going to go to like a slightly different line of thought, just like the justification for anarchism and why it is what it is. And um, so I, I kind of, I see it as a logical progression, right? So the, the number one question is, is it okay to course? Is it okay to use aggression? I would certainly teach in, my children to coerce and use aggression in, in a situation where they're being coerced. Well, okay, okay, okay. But the, the question <laughs> being, is it okay to aggress? To aggress, period. Is it okay Is it okay, Like, to be the aggressor. Is it okay to be the aggressor? To start shit? And, and if the answer is no, like, if the answer is no, which a voluntarist should argue, would argue, an anarchist, I, I believe, like... That is what the voluntarist principle is, right? I mean, in as few words as possible. Yeah. Like, the voluntarist principle is it is wrong to aggress. Well, the whole point of the question is a vehicle to get to... To a, the logic of it. And so, okay. To get to a better place. So we need to have context, you know. Well, okay. So my argument, basically, I'm just trying to point out, like, if the answer to is it wrong to aggress, if the answer is yes, if that is the answer, then that is the justification for government being wrong if they aggress us, right? So if basically if it's wrong to if it's wrong to force anybody into any exchange and and this happens to us on a daily basis, but it's justified to aggress in return or to you know it's like 
how do we do that? What's the what's the practical way to solve the problem? Is it to fight back tooth and nail, fist and claw? Is it to walk away as as the hypothetical hunter gatherer did when he didn't you know didn't agree with the contract anymore of the tribe? You know what do we do at this point in history? What you know as voluntarists, I'm I'm having this like internal debate of what do we really like. Where do we go from here? Yeah. Do we go political? As far as like how to do advance we go, to an anarchistic society? Yeah. I mean, what's the best course of action? And of course, a good anarchist might say, well, the answer to that question is going to be different for everybody. You, well, you know, yeah. something like that. Probably, yeah. But um, I mean, I, there's so I, many I, different I, schools of anarchists. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I think it all starts in the home, really, mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. children. I really think that's, that's my own personal opinion is I think it all starts in the home with how you raise your children because exactly how you... Exactly the tools that you give them on how to communicate and to change anything to work with other people is is what's essentially gonna it's gonna be a product of later. I mean people mm-hmm. people can only change so much. I mean, if you look at people who come out of really devastated childhoods, sure, of course they can change, but it might take it will take time to heal from those things. It will take time to be a changed person and you know, maybe that's, maybe that's five years of, of solid communication and working through things that they've missed out on, or Mm -hmm. if that makes sense, you know, in in terms of like, how does it affect society at large, (laughs) um, is, you know, whether you're involved or not, if you can communicate, if you can propel anyone forward. Well, we've uh, we've covered some territory here. Yeah, for I'll tell sure. you that. Yeah, a lot of criss- crisscrossing of paths and. Well, but you know, I think it all ties in. It's like the, it, it's a pretty. I always say it's just a, it's a simple thing. Like yeah, the nap. You know, voluntarism, anarchy. Call it what you will. I think there's. I, you could probably list out twenty different words that in 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 my mind all mean that. And right? some people the tau the tau still interpret it differently. Um, you know, I've said before, like maybe anarchism is sort of the uh, the playing field, and like all these rules get built off of this flat playing field of of anarchism, of chaos, of order, of balance, or at least attempted striving for. I don't know. <laughs> if I can, if I can summarize it in one thought, it's kind of a trippy one, but it's like, I I don't know what to call it, gravity or God or what, but something equilibrium, equilibrium yeah. is a big word. Yeah. I love the word equilibrium, <laughs> but that force of equilibrium, or of you know draw towards equilibrium, the 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 Tao, the way. It's it's ever present. Ever changing. I'm tempted to call it God, but I think it is. I think it is, in essence, it is that 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 effort, that force of keeping things from going haywire. And we've been fucking with it a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like, as a, as a as a bigger you know population, we've we've tried to throw ourselves out of balance. We keep, I think, we keep naturally snapping back. You know, I, it's become more obvious with COVID and everything else, just the struggle between sort of the whatever, the, the, the power versus the people. This, this, this struggle for balance is, is being played out like 
more obviously than it was 10 years ago. That's for darn sure, you know. I think we're just more aware of it. Yeah, I think, like, I think we yeah, are. I think, uh, so. Because we're, in a lot of ways, living in the like age of the second Gutenberg press with the internet and the ease at which people can get on the internet. Like, I remember when I was a kid, we had a computer, and mm-hmm. we had a computer room, one. And now I have a supercomputer in my pocket, as do the both of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's now we have all two computers sitting here. Yeah, Yeah, there's five computers in this room right now. Yeah, yeah. And we we have all of that, um, you know, at our fingertips. So it's uh, it's it's more difficult for the powers that be to keep that monopoly on information, on reason, on yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Knowledge. And that's why I know some some like prominent anarchists uh, refer to like you know government media that whole apparatus as the cathedral because it is very much mm. functioning in the same way that the Catholic Church and the feudal lords did yeah, uh, prior yeah. to the Protestant yeah. Reformation. Yeah, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So on that note, how do y'all feel about government schools? Oh no! Oh no! No! <laughs> you know, how do not... you feel about government schools? It's like I'm. I'm not a fan of. Uh, of, of forcing kids to go to schools, but I also don't have a problem with like schooling in general. Like if people mm-hmm. want the structure, then they can go find that structure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was, is it Peter Gray? He invented the, uh, he calls it the democratic schooling model. Hmm. Um, actually, I think he started it in my home state and it's, he essentially has built the system in which the students and the teachers collectively vote on what the curriculum should be. And the curriculum focuses tends to focus a lot more on play, which there's actually a lot to be learned in play, especially well, for little yeah. kids. Hell yeah. 30 minutes of recess. It's not even close to enough. It's laughable. It's it bullshit. needs to be like six hours of recess and play. It needs to be intermixed. Yeah. Interwined with learning. It needs to know. be not government school. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When in these democratic school models, they, uh, I mean, they, they learn what the kids want to learn. And thus, yeah. you know, I, I I think the last statistic I saw was like, you know, kids that go to government schools and then they have their summer vacation, up to 60% of what they learned is forgotten by the mm-hmm. time they get to the next year, which, you know, that's saying you remember 40%. There is no test in the world that if you got a 40% on it, they would say you passed. So yeah. that's, it's not doing a good job. And I think a huge part of that is not just the break, but how interested kids are in learning. They, well, and maybe how much bullshit they're being taught. It's like they might retain the forty percent that actually fucking matters. Yeah, because kids to some extent, or at least yeah. what they think matters. They've got an right? intuitive right. sense about things, you know. Yeah, they're honest, yeah. and so they can they can sometimes just smell it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I could, I could when I was in school. I agree. I I always had this weird like I remember my my like my family getting kind of testy testy with me one time because I was kind of bitching about like, God, all my teachers fucking suck. And they're like, yeah, that's not very respectful or whatever. And I'm like, it's just true. Like they my do. teachers they are really terrible. Do. My teachers are <laughs> terrible. They're like, you go to one of one of the best schools in the state. And you were like, it's you're like, not being a peaceful, curious parent with me right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's like there, there, I, I have a few memories of like me expressing like confusion as to like, why is this the way it is? This is horse shit. And everybody being like, quit being so cynical. And I'm like, but that is, I mean, that's, that was me being like, kind of doesn't make sense why if this is the best school, why ain't it better? Being observant. See, for me, like, mm. um, 
I, I went to a school in Massachusetts that that public school system was considered one of the five best in the country. So right. like, as far right. as public schools go, I went to literally one of the best. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of it, my high school graduating class, out of the like almost 400 kids, 98% of them went to college afterwards. Mm-hmm. I think we had like six kids that went to MIT. And it's like, I don't know how many people are accepted to MIT every year, but to imagine I have like six kids all from yeah, one school. That's a lot. In yeah. a class of only about 400. Right. But I remember... And somehow purely going to college means success. Well, and because that is how they measure it. But the... But what I learned a couple years later was that only about 44% actually finished their second year of college, and, mm. and which, you know, I didn't finish my second year of college. So it's like, by their own metric, they are failing. Yeah. yeah. It's not a very good metric. It's but, not. Uh, but if they can't even meet their own metric, like, yeah, yeah. imagine something that, that really matters. Well, I mean, I just, I, I remember thinking it's just like, it felt it felt like I was being treated like less than human. It oh, felt yeah. it felt like prison. I, why aren't you doing your work? Right, right. And like, half of that stupid shit. And I don't half want of, to. Half of it was busy work. Yeah. yeah. And um, it's like eight hours a day. My ass. You know, I could I could get all this shit done in three. You know, and so I I think there's a really good case for homeschooling and um, you know seeking out other other options. Right. Yeah. 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 But. We all get, you know, property taxed and, you know, it's like, it's crazy. Again, it's just crazy to me that they can take our money and say, oh, it's for these schools, you know, and everybody just goes along. Yeah. That's so the, the to me, the mind blowing thing to you. me, the mind blowing thing to me is how when I bring that up as a kid, it's almost like you get gaslit into thinking, well, what, I, what your, your, your standards are too high. You know, what do you expect? You, you you don't want to be treated like a prisoner? You know, hey, well, too bad. You know, that's how school is. Or you're a kid, and that's how it's supposed to be. Right, you're you a kid. You're you, a sheep. Yeah, yeah, like just that. do what you're told. Shut up. Respect your teacher, even if they're a freaking creep. You know, like... Or preying upon you, basically. By my senior year, I'd finally, like, kind of had it to some extent. You know, they, they call it senioritis. Yeah. A lot of kids get this affliction. And what it is is it's it, it's tolerant or it's um not tolerance but like what would you call it um, basically getting fed up with the bullshit they've reached their limit they've hit their tolerance. Well, they are also say. going out and getting a taste of freedom finally. True, yeah. Yeah. true, and they they see the light at the end yeah, of the tunnel, exactly. so they stop putting up with as much, and uh, they start skipping class, whatever. You know, me and my friends, we would skip first period. We found out you could. You could skip first period six times a semester, and it would just be written up as tardies as long as you showed up before second period. So we're like, sweet. We're like, sweet. Fuck it. You know, let's all go get breakfast, you know, like, and, uh, and my point being, um, I remember senior year, I had a, I had a teacher who was known as a creep. Yeah. He was known as a creep. And he had, he had messaged my sister like within a month or two of her graduating, she was a couple years above me yeah. saying like, Hey, I'll be down in Bloomington going to, you know, IU football games. You should come hang out. Yeah, it's gross. It's just gross. Right. Yeah. Like you don't, you don't do that. Yeah. And he would always, you know, it was like people knew he would put all the pretty girls in the front row, you know, oh, seating chart, one of these guys. And 
He knows. He knows what Didn't the rules even, are because he he's, doesn't even have to try to hide it because because he's a public. And he's teacher. doing he's doing it in a way that's like creepy, but not technically illegal. Ah, yeah. It's and almost it, like yeah. he just kind of rubs it in. Too. It's like he knows the rules. He knows he can't really get too like handsy or anything like that, but he can get really close. I mean, be, that that is a, a certain crazy. level of psychopathy. Oh yeah, and I I had him as a teacher um, after he had messaged my sister. You know, this is where his. This is where his plan, you know, isn't such a good plan, right? For hitting on girls, like, right after, you know, it's like, they got they got siblings that you still got to have in yeah. class. And he would kiss my ass. Like, I could tell he was, like, literally, like, sucking up to me, probably because yeah. he has a guilty conscience. Yeah. You know, he sees my last name on the roster, and he says, oh, fuck. Just begging you to <laughs> and, uh, and so I, I just wouldn't give him the time of day. Like, I really just kind of... I wouldn't say I was outright disrespectful. You just avoided him. But I genuinely wouldn't wouldn't humor him. No. You know, yeah. he would say stuff like, oh. it's like <laughs> you know, and like uh, it's just so fucked up that okay. someone like that can be in a position and of you know, power of uh, children of power yeah. over teenagers yeah. who debatable if we should. Think of children. them as children. Yeah, I mean, I get that there's there's a gray zone, yeah. right? Like not fully allowed the rights of a adult, but to 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 allow them to not have any more autonomy than yeah. someone that's nine years old, basically, in the yeah. educational system is just it's like weird. It's like it doesn't make sense. It's almost like we treat them the same from kindergarten. All the way through twelfth grade, oh, more or sure. less, more or less. And then when you're eighteen, you're all of a sudden considered an adult. And yeah, yeah, Everything yeah. that you do now, that's your fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though you've had no accountability, no responsibility, no autonomy until today. Yeah, it's like you get exactly. it all thrust yeah. on you. But at it's the like same it's time. also like if you want me to do everything you tell me to do, and then I become such a fuck up, isn't that? <laughs> yeah right 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 like i did everything you asked and none of it worked and I, I think that's kind of one of the big problems with like our generation in general like a lot mm. of people like a lot of the kids that went to that were in my high school class that said i went to college i got the degree you told me a bachelor's degree was useful and now i can't get a fucking job worth nothing and i yeah. have a job that like i don't even have a real college education for and mm-hmm. i make a lot more money than like most of them yeah it's kind yeah. of insane yeah. some people are too smart too smart for college, it seems. I, I hired this kid who, uh, he impressed me. He was working at Menards, and I was getting my lumber, and he just ran up to me and says, hey, can I help you load up? I'm like, hell yeah, I'll throw you the lumber. You put it in the truck, you know? And and he just, you know, he was solid, so I said, you want to come work with me? Yeah. You know, and he worked with me for a summer. He was 18 years old, fresh out of high school. And uh, just solid kid, good head on his shoulders, good common sense, uh, knew when to ask for clarity. You yeah. know, if we were doing something and he didn't, he didn't understand my instructions, he would ask. It's like that's hard to find. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember asking him, you know, not too not too long into working with him, I said, "Are you gonna, you know, what's your plan? You going to college? What's up?" He said, "Nah, screw that." He says, uh, "You know, I know people a couple years ahead of me who." went for a couple of years, racked up 20 grand in debt. And now they're, you know, they don't have a degree and they, yeah. they bailed out. And it's like, I'm just, I'm going to go get my lineman certification, you know, become an electric, you know, electrical lineman, you know, work on the power lines, make 40, 60 bucks an hour. Like, 
It's like rock and roll, dude. Yeah, like get at it, you know. Got a bag and awesome wife too. Oh yeah, yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. Yeah, uh, but it's like there's good money to be made without going through all that bullshit. For sure, yeah. And so, uh, in some ways, subjecting yourself to another four years of indoctrination, right? Like. Yeah. For sure. I, I had a great time in college. Had you know, I studied outdoor recreation and uh, learned a lot of cool stuff. Like you know, went through leadership training, went through some some pretty unique stuff. Got my permaculture uh, course cool. in in college. That's like really cool. it, it it counted for credit. So you know, I I lucked out. I had a like a pretty unique experience. But um, I I I really don't see it making sense for a lot of folks really yeah it's um, not for everybody and it is it's almost it's disgusting not for most people it's almost disgusting that it's just kind of like sold as the you either go to college or you're a loser yeah the epitome you're, of you know, whether you make yeah. it or not right yeah. right or just yeah. to be treated like a respectable human being really yeah mm-hmm. well it's i think it a lot of it is because of that like authority of a force like we we're talking about earlier it's like college is essentially selling you a piece of paper that is effectively backed by government because they're the one that certifies and says this college is good yeah it's accredited so yeah yeah you now have the authority to say well i know this is true because i have a degree i have a bachelor's a master's or a doctorate in this degree and it's like okay well that's great but like lots of people with those degrees are wrong in fact it seems like almost all of the problems we're dealing (laughs) with are caused by people with a lot of (laughs) ivy league degrees Mm -hmm. so i'm not so sure how valuable that is. Yeah, maybe they're not as smart as they think, right? But they have that, you know, that sacred piece of paper that tells them, I'm better than you. It's kind of funny. I actually never, like, got my diploma, even though I graduated, I think. (laughs) But I, like, uh, you know, I don't know if I didn't fill out the form for where to mail it, but I didn't walk, first of all. I didn't. I remember you telling us. I that. didn't walk in my ceremony at the end of graduate yeah. or at the end of college because I, frankly, I didn't give a fuck. I was just yeah. like, okay, done with this. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like I don't, I don't really need a ceremony. Um, it's not like I was becoming a lawyer. It was like I'd studied how to be a dirtbag for four years. <laughs> so like part of me, you know, my mom was pretty upset, I guess, you know, that I didn't go through the ceremony. And fair enough, they, they paid a lot of money for me to go to school. But point being, it's just like that pa- that paper wasn't important to me. And I, I, I always kind of hoped and figured that I just wouldn't ever be in a position to have to show it to anybody, yeah. basically. I'm like, what is this? paper have you know it doesn't doesn't say shit about me except that i went to school but like (laughs) you know it's like and up to this point i have yet to like i can tell somebody who i am instead maybe it's because i've never like had a legit job you know but like um (laughs) it's like nobody's asked to see my diploma so so far i'm 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 good to go they didn't ask to see your paper (laughs) yeah yeah well and maybe that's part of my whole thing man i don't like like, papers? Oh, I'm gonna you show like you. Papers? You don't need to see my papers, little Jedi mind. <laughs> you trick. see me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, did you guys get as pissed off as I did with all that Vax Pass yeah. stuff? For sure, yeah. <laughs> I, I have, and it's even working in healthcare. It's been particularly difficult. Yeah. Um, but I've found even, even ways a, around it. It's yeah. uh, it's basically you have to fill out either a religious or medical exemption, and most mm-hmm. places will deny you. Like I even got this in the contract. That's, that's very high demand. Well, and I think that's honestly the only reason is because like you know for most surgical techs you know you have to go through a community college, so you have to go mm-hmm. twenty grand in debt, and then to start off only make 
about $20 an hour, which is not a great investment for most people. So it's there's not enough being made to fill in the market for everyone that's retiring. Mm. So it's like there I think a lot of places are getting to the point where they're like, eh, you know, we're going to fill out. We're just going to accept all of the religious exemptions, whether mm-hmm. it's actually religious or not, because like we, we need somebody to assist in this surgery we or we're going to go yeah. out of business as a hospital and then we're right. not helping anyone. Right. And it's... um. We're not going to make money. It's, well, it's showing just the power of, of the market on some of this the stuff. The power of non-compliance. So. Yeah. And it's like I still haven't complied with it. And, mm-hmm. you know, every day I'm seeing less and less reason to do so. And, and, and the thing was is I was working at a hospital when the vaccines went into their trial. And they actually, like, the pre-trial on humans was actually something they offered to me. And I just said, no. And they said, well, we made a special, like, we filled out a special request for you. And because I was working in the ICU, like, we, we did this specifically for you so you can feel safe. And I'm just like... We made a special exception for your own bodily autonomy. Well, and it's like, I've been doing this for, like, six months. Like, I've, I've literally been exposed to this thing, like thousands of times yeah between yeah. how many patients i've seen like it's like when you get a eh. bathroom pass from school like basically <laughs> i'm like i already feel like i'm doing my job like yeah i got sick at the beginning it sucked for about five days and then it was fine yeah and yeah. i was actually i knowing what i do was actually very relieved because i'm like great now now i'm, I'm immune I'm to it and i don't yeah, have to yeah, worry and i don't yeah. have to wear the stupid n95 and people <laughs> right. looked at me like i was insane yeah. i'm just like did we all forget everything we learned about basic immunology? Like, we're fine. All of us are fine. All of us. It almost, it goes back to that kind of like thing about, it's just hard to rationalize why, you know, what we might call like normies, right? This, you know, these days, like why the normies like don't understand how fucked up it all is. Like, and even like as the truth of things came out of like you can still spread it you can still catch it they still just like stick into their position that like and it's the bad parent it's the bad parent that who says do what i say or i'm gonna beat your ass instead of making a case you know for the you're gonna do this because it's what's best for you yeah and, here's and I, all I hate of the to reasons say, why i really hate to say it too but sometimes it's it's really the most severe parents who do that kind of stuff who breed people like me that are become anarchists <laughs> yeah, and absolutely yeah. trying to tear the stuff apart mm-hmm. at well, least in the seeking realm of, equilibrium like, conversations yeah i'm seeking equilibrium. it is it is it is yeah. i think that's what it is we're all like seeking Seeking equilibrium. It's kind of a tongue twister. Uh, but I'm not saying hit your kids and you're going to produce awesome anarchists. I'm just saying. No. No. <laughs> Raise your kids to be awesome anarchists to begin with. No. <laughs> be an awesome anarchist and then raise your kid to be. Well, and it's like we're all people who have no kids. Um, so some people, I, I can just hear it already. Oh, you don't know anything. Yeah. You know, Until you have kids, you wouldn't understand. It's like, well, most people Bullshit. with kids don't know anything about their kids like one thing i i hear when i I talk about this stuff with people (laughs) right who have kids is they'll say no i know my kids i always know when my kids are lying to me because i just know them that well and it's like okay great but you're not asking the big question why are they lying to you they always say well kids lie and it's like no at some point they learned that telling the truth is actually very dangerous yeah you probably pried something out of them that they didn't want to tell you and then you hit them for it 
And now they lie to you all the time because they realize it's actually just much safer to do so. And even just like, I mean, hitting is not the only form of abuse. Well, I know that, but it's it's an obvious example. Whatever that might be, physical or otherwise. Yeah. No, when a kid fesses up, that's a prime opportunity. Basically, instead of punishing them, like, severely, to basically thank them for being honest and maybe punish them not so severely right like yeah. basically you know thank you for telling me the truth now go sit in your room for 10 minutes or right what are, the, what are the consequences right right there's but you know again that whole thing about i've had it told to me like you know you're not a parent so shut the fuck up well every one of us unless okay. unless you were an orphan and you weren't <laughs> raised by actual like parents at any point all of us were Kids raised by parents. Or authority figures. And and authority figures. And we all went to school. And this all ties in as we've already kind of like talked about. But um, Well, also if you have siblings and your parents aren't really involved. Because, you know, that's been my experience. And that's something that's kind of not mm. looked at a lot. Which is crazy because there's so many older siblings who end up inevitably raising their... Raising their yeah their uh their siblings so they have some kind of experiences on how some things might go or not go well mm-hmm. <laughs> when the whole like you're not a parent you don't know is not really a great argument because like i i may not know how to run like a, a pizza parlor but i know what a good pizza tastes like so it's like <laughs> i can go to a place and i can go wow this is terrible i don't know what you're doing wrong yeah but it's obviously wrong because this is just awful right. well and i think some of the kids that are like the most self-assured, the, the most confident, the most uh, primed for success are seeming more and more to be the homeschool kids. Like, oh, yeah, for um, sure. all of the numbers show that too. Yeah. Like when they go to college, they go and they don't change their major as much, meaning they knew what they wanted to go to college mm-hmm. for. And they their graduation time, yeah, rates yeah. are much higher, I like not it. even comparable. I believe it. Yeah. They had time to nurture that. Like, yeah, they, they, they know what they want rather than just going, all right, we're going to run you through every subject we can think of. Mm-hmm. from biology to whatever other bullshit and now yeah. all right go pick what you want to be for the next like 40 years go get them yeah well and i think i just to whatever wrap up to tie up the question of like <clears throat> not being a parent but talking on the issue of parenting is it not like maybe a good practice to like consider what kind of parent you would be or you will be um Beforehand. Beforehand, right, yeah. right. I That's think so I many. Hear all the time is like, uh, why are you reading parenting books? Are you pregnant? And I'm like, do you wait till you're pregnant to read yeah. parenting? Yeah, books? isn't that funny? Like, are you gonna cram for the exam the night before? Yeah. Like, well, it seems like most people just say, well, <clears throat> yes, that's exactly what we do. Yeah. Once we found out we're pregnant, then we go, all right, we got nine months to figure all this read shit all out. The big go. Books. Well, it's yeah. also like, I mean, uh, sorry. Oh, you were gonna say something. Well, I you can go ahead. I, oh, I was I'll just going to say, I mean, that parenting books are, are not just parenting books. I mean, especially these days, like we've talked about, most kids are they're physically manipulated in some way. And that wreaks havoc on the rest of society, not just that person. Um, but parenting books aren't just good for how the hell are you going to raise your kid, but it's also how am I going to raise me before mm-hmm. I have a kid? Mm-hmm. Because something in, something something had to have gone wrong during my childhood like well something goes wrong in everyone's childhood exactly so if i can figure out like what can go better yeah what can go better it doesn't mean it's going to be perfect it's definitely not going to be perfect um but just trying to improve overall yeah and so parenting books 
they improve you as a whole. Like, oh, I didn't know I needed this thing that I'm supposed to now give to my future kid. So let me give that to me first and then I can give that to my kid, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Like I was saying earlier, you can't teach a child emotional intelligence if you have none. If you, you have don't know none. what that means. You can't yes. pour from an empty cup. It's a yes. really cl- boring cliche. Well, no, but we, it's We true. have these, these adages for a reason because yeah. like they, they do communicate that like kind of eternal truth. And it's, it's annoying to hear them for that reason because you're like, I know. I know that. Now we're back on to religion. <laughs> well, but okay, so I think it's something that is, it's a good thought to consider. Like, so many people, in my estimation, they get married, they have kids, because it's what you do. And not, and not they, totally bad. And, you know, it's not a terrible, whatever. A lot of people <laughs> just do it. And it's like they want kids, but they maybe haven't teased out the question of why or what kind of parent should I can I be it's more like I want kids put a baby in me we're gonna just (laughs) figure it out and that you know that like every parent from the beginning of time to now has just figured it out Um, but you can you can strategize you can be the best parent you can be and instead of and I think it, it goes back to the fundamental question of does that kid belong to you or does that kid belong to themselves Right. In the ultimate sense. Like and that that guides how you treat them as a parent. And it's 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 applying that voluntarism principle. It's applying the idea of personal sovereignty to parenting. And I just I I think that is the fundamental difference between a generally decent parent and a shitty one is oftentimes like they treat that kid like it's property. Like it's property. Right. Well like you were saying earlier, like, I put you in this world, I can take you out. But it's also, like, you chose for me to be here. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you are yeah. the only reason I'm here, because you and mom or you and dad wanted to have an orgasm, and that's it. That's the only reason well, I'm that's here. The, that's the fundamental argument or tension, isn't it? Like, you brought me in, so... What you, came first, uh, the chicken or the egg? Well, it's, well it's, more like, it's more like, so, okay. Dad came first. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's... Uh, dad... <laughs> That's bad. That's bad. But Sorry, no, should I keep that kind of humor? No, it's perfect. That's perfect. Um, but no, it is like, uh, I guess the issue of if you raise your kids to resent you, if you raise your kids to end up resenting you, they ultimately have the final argument the final stopper. Say. Because the kid can say, I didn't choose to be here. You yeah, know, you, well, what happens when you're so, old? If you make your kid so miserable that they say you chose to bring me here, yeah. like that's not a good sign of you being a very good parent. So instead you have to, I honestly think a big part of being a good parent is to teach your kid to have like that love yeah. for life basically. Yeah. Like, and if you, if, if you can't like work through the struggles and the, and the raw negative emotions that kids experience, in a healthy kind of way with them as a person, mm-hmm. uh, teaching them how to, how to kind of process and how to communicate. If you can't do that in a healthy way, you shouldn't have become a parent to begin with probably, sure. you know, like, and just relating back to like what you said earlier about, um, like n- not getting to choose. It's like, well, you can, when your kids are older, they can use that argument against you when you're, when you're old. And usually like the tradition, like the cycle of life is, 
you bring your children up in the world and if, if you have a loving relationship, they're just going to naturally want to take care of you yeah. when you're old. That's the right. cycle of life. And so, I mean, we see it with boomers now. It's like how many of us like millennials and Gen Zers really want to take care of boomers now that they're starting to like mm-hmm. ascend into their older ages. Like yeah. there's one thing I, when I was working at the, in the ICU in Tucson, um, there was a, an old nursing home that was like literally across the street from the hospital I was working at called Desert Sapphire. And we literally called it the Sapphire Special. It was a bunch of like unloved boomers that were, you know, they needed like 15 medications every day. Yeah, yeah. And they hadn't seen their kids and they hadn't been fed properly and all that. And just like nobody loved them. And while it's really sad to think about that, it's like, okay, well, what kind of children did you raise? What kind of world did you build for them where they really just think this low of you? It's Mm. kind of sick and twisted, but it's like I've been to so many senior homes and like one of the first things I think when when it's a senior citizen who seems to be in their right mind, but is just kind of bitter about the world, Mm -hmm. I kind of think, what was your relationship like with your children? Because odds are most people have children before Mm -hmm. they get into their old age. And I just think, why are you here? Of course, like, the first thing I think of is I know somebody's going to push back and say, well, this is not my situation. But, like, generally speaking... Um, probably there's a reason why they're they're there if they it's, have kids. To me, that is it's a it's a symptom of a sick culture. Yeah. When you don't care for your elderly. Yeah. Vroom vroom. <laughs> uh, every time a motorcycle goes by on the podcast, you can you can hear it. Uh, Keep that in mind. But anyways, uh, yeah, it's it's one more sign of a sick culture. Like I I've told my parents outright that I I hope to be in a position where I can. Yeah. take them in um part of that requires a level of like security financially and yeah like, that's uh, why i'm saying it's not all stuff the like same, that but... it's tough you know some people but that's the thing we we kind of i think we've made our lives so overly complex mm-hmm. that you know again i i hate to get too personal or whatever but i i was a little bit perturbed a little bit like confused as to why my grandfather didn't just move in with us for the last year of his life. Yeah. You know, because he was, he was in failing health, but it was not like, it was not as if he needed constant care. It was more just that he, he was kind of dying. He was 93 years old, you know? And he was just like the last few years, he went to the hospital a couple times and like had to get his lungs pumped to fluid and this and that. But it's like, there was no really like justifiable reason in my mind why he couldn't move in, to a house yeah. with three extra bedrooms in it exactly. and um, and kind of be with the family. Yeah, and, for sure. And frankly, I'm even, I'm kind of bitter about the whole thing because he died shortly into the whole COVID deal. Oh my gosh. And not, not shortly in, but like maybe a year in. Right. And as his 28-year-old healthy, probably previously uh, infected, and recovered, uh, grandson was not allowed to go to the funeral, Jeez. even though it was outdoors in like summer. That's such bullshit. That's it, insane. It's, I know it's, so many stories like it's that. like it's ridiculous. Yeah. So I this like I felt a close affinity to, to Grandpa Leon. You know, we look a lot alike. You know, I look like my dad. My dad looks like his dad. Yeah. And I wasn't allowed to go bury him because of other people's fear. Other people's yeah. psychotic fear, and I, I, it, it, 
it's just one more symptom, right, of a sick culture and when we don't yeah. value that tradition, that um, sacred like ritual of of the funeral of burying our deceased, of our yeah. you know our elders. That's well, my, it's kind of it's like, like it, it's so it's so fucked up, and I'm so sorry to hear about that. I, mm. TJ was saying I've well, heard so many stories like that, but it it really just goes to show that you know with parenting and with your children. Like, you need to have a secure relationship with them. Mm-hmm. Or else they grow up to be grown-ups who they don't feel secure at all. And they need to have a lot of rules in place so they can have that semblance of security again mm-hmm. that they mm-hmm. didn't get and that they need to try to now establish as, like, adults. And then they feel completely safe and justified in violating your right to go and bury one of your relatives. Where it's like, even if there was a risk there and you getting sick and possibly dying from him or whomever else was there... Mm-hmm. That's your choice to take that risk or not. Yeah, yeah. And everyone yeah. else is perfectly okay with violating that because no, no, no. I gotta. I'm, I'm afraid of the entire world because so, yeah, I, I mean, was raised in a world where I was supposed to be afraid of it. I mean, the logic was the logic was we're just trying to keep it to a minimum so it'll just be his closest friends and his children. Yeah. You know, his surviving children. Well, what about his grandkids? For God's sake. Yeah, but you know, what about a choice? What about my and wh- choice? And what about my choice? And yeah. yeah, if anybody isn't comfortable being around the grandchildren, they don't have to go to the funeral. Well, you know, it's also like their why, choice. why, and this kind of leads me back to earlier with the, the question about uh, coercion and violence is, why does it have to be one question? Why does it have to be one answer? Like, mm. can we have context? Like, can we... Can we communicate enough as, as a society, as grown-ups, to have a situation where may, maybe you had a situation where you guys came first or right, whatever right. situation and, and people just did what they were the most comfortable with and it was their choice, you know? Right. It's just, yeah, yeah I, people want to like, people want to have a simple solution to a yeah. lot of things. Yeah, and sometimes you just got to let it, solutions. you got to let the anarchy ride. You got to yeah. let things happen right yeah got to roll that die and hope that hope that it comes up good but like you don't tell people they can't bury their own fucking family yeah you know that that's a violation you you don't tell people you can't spend someone's dying moments with them it's messed up for the human mind i mean myself like i missed out on that when i was a kid and that's kind of personal but um I, i didn't I wasn't there for any family members' deaths. I know that when there was funerals, I wasn't allowed to go as a kid or even as, like, an older adult. Yeah, so for me, it's like I've never seen that before. And it's like you have to wonder how that affects people as adults when they don't, like, witness natural cycles like that. It kind of messes you up a little bit. And it makes you want to have more security, like, with these Mm -hmm. rules and these COVID lockdowns. So I got one sort of... You know, I think that thought of like what you allow your kids to be exposed to and sort yeah. of win and um, not letting them go to a funeral for, I suppose, the desire to protect from the harsh reality yeah. of death and the unpleasantness of it. But I, you know, I don't think that's very wise to try mm-hmm. to protect your kids from the real. Yeah. You know, it's kind of yeah. like to me, it's very much the same as like overly censoring you know there's there's a there's a case to be made for like keeping things age appropriate yeah, right exactly. um but like one thing that i always was really perturbed by I, I personally as a kid you know i was the youngest of three and um two older sisters 
and we would watch Friends, the TV show, right? Oh, wow. And anytime there was anything sexual, yeah. right? At all. You know, it's a, whatever, it was a show with some sexual scenarios oh, in it. It was a sure. primetime show, so they kept it, you know, within certain within legalism. Within, but... within a certain, like, boundary. Um, but I remember, like, kind of being perturbed at the fact that, like, I was allowed to watch the show. Yeah. But then I would be told, cover your eyes. Yeah. At certain times. And it was said jokingly-ish, but it was like, no, cover your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> And it's, like that is not a question. <laughs> and I'm just like I'm just like, I remember thinking as a kid, this was one of these defining moments where it's like something, there's some bull, there's some bullshit afoot, you know? It's just like, like why am I allowed to sit here and watch, and why can my sisters see, but yeah. I can't, but I can't. It reminds me of a moment when I was a little kid. I was watching that '70s show with my parents, uh-huh. and I I must have been like six or seven years old, like I yeah. was really young. Yeah. And. Uh, Red Foreman made one of his, you know, very uh, famous and iconic foot in ass comments. Yeah. And of course, of course, I still find that funny at 29. Yeah, I definitely a... found that funnier at seven. Because that's a funny picture. Somebody putting their foot up their ass. Yeah, yeah like yeah, in yeah, a very yeah. literal sense. Yeah, it's yeah. hysterical. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and then as soon as like my parents saw that I was laughing hysterically over this, they look at that and go, okay, we screwed up. You need to go to bed. And I'm just like, why is this the problem? So, like, again, I watched the whole show until this point. That's an, that's a, that's an issue with parents. Um, yeah, absolutely. They can't just let their kid find something slightly inappropriate, funny, um, and, and like maybe trust that the kid like isn't going to go out the next day and just start saying, I'm going to shove my foot up your ass. <laughs> and there was never any explanation as to like, okay, why this might not be appropriate. Yeah. And why we yeah. shouldn't have let you see it in the first place. It's more of a... Sorry, our bad or anything like that. It's more of a shame. It's a shameful thing on the kid to almost like... Oh, oh, I saw I, something I wasn't supposed to. I or like I laughed at something that I shouldn't have laughed at, even, even though it was clearly meant to be funny. There was a laugh track in the freaking sitcom, like everybody, yeah. you know. But but I'm not allowed to laugh at it. Why? Like so, I you know, it, there's little things that, and I think people don't even give it a second thought. Like, yeah, you can because well, we're used to that in society too. So we, yeah. when we grow up, I mean, we just. Uh, it's like you said the other day about your mom uh, with the tattoo and everything. Just, just yeah. kind of looked at it and was like, hmm. But that's how it is like out in the world. It's like somebody doesn't like something, they're not going to tell you. It's just kind of most of the time. But it's just kind of like we're passively working through. But we're not looking people square in the face and having a conversation about mm-hmm. anything. We'll just try and regulate their behavior through government later. Or maybe yeah. like passive manipulation in some way. Like, yeah. oh, society doesn't really like it when you're not wearing a mask, so we highly encourage you to. Yes. But we're not going to say, you should be wearing a mask and let's tell... We like, won't pass a hard rule about it, but we will have every single person in the store go, hey, why aren't you, uh, why aren't you wearing a mask? I almost tore a sign off a door. Um a couple days ago i i saw this sign and it just kind of irked me because it it said it's such bullshit it said honor system exclamation mark exclamation mark if you're not fully vaxxed and boosted please wear a mask and i just i saw it and i almost turned around and and left but i really wanted that cup of coffee (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's like fuck you no none of your business and just double no and i kind of wish i'd pulled that you know but oh, yeah. it's not my property you know I, that'd be a slight violation of the non-aggression <laughs> principle they can hang any sign they want 
Um, but I found it offensive. I found it offensive. and Well, it feels like an attack, you know. Yeah. Like, we were driving down the street the other day, and I saw some uh, a church, and I noticed that this is a big thing with churches now, especially, is they've got a big pride flag, and usually they'll say, like, diversity, like, right in the middle, and it's hanging, like, right above, like, the entrance of the church. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, it's very much meant to catch your eye, like, where it is. Mm-hmm. It's meant to... To, to, to loom over you to kind of say something. And I don't, I remember we were driving and I was just thinking to myself, like, I feel attacked by this word, but it's a, it's just a word. Like, it's mm-hmm. just a flag. It's not hurting me. Like, it didn't do anything mm-hmm. to, like, alter the course of my life. But just the fact that it was put there like that as, like, a manipulation tactic makes yeah. me feel threatened. And you know they're trying to push that onto their church members, whether they believe in any of that stuff or not. I was kind of just using that as, a, as an example, yeah. you know, like, of the sign that he saw when he entered the store. Well, it's, 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 I think it's, it feels condescending, um, this, like, clear, like, virtue signal culture of, like, um, I'm gonna put the Ukrainian flag in my <laughs> fucking Facebook picture, yeah, you know, and like shit like that. It's like, posture, d- did you really care about this until everybody yeah. told you to? Did you care in 2014 when they were invaded the first time? <laughs> right. Do you care about Yemen? Do you care about fucking? And you know, it's like fill in the blank. It's it, it's there's this whole thing about like you gotta you gotta wear the patch and you gotta you gotta eat the bugs, live in the bugs. Yeah. <laughs> Be a good little slave and yeah. shut the fuck up. Don't complain about our schools which and, clearly are failing cuz they could be your, they could be worse, you know. Use your hall passes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, I think we ought to maybe wrap her up. If y'all any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? Um any change starts in the home with your children, with yourself first, mm-hmm. with yourself mm-hmm. first and then with your children and um that's my final thoughts. What are your final thoughts? Yeah, it's good. Let's go with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Parenting and anarchy. Well, I think they go in hand. You know, they go hand in hand. Like yeah. uh, it just—it seems like patterns that continue to play out. And to me, I—I'll last thing I'll say, and I've said it before already, but like, I'm just astonished that it seems so many people go along with. What is so clearly bogus. Um, But I'm starting to learn to not, like, let it upset me so much. Um, You know, but like you said, it starts in in ourselves and in our own homes. And honestly, I think the best strategy, if we're going to try to change anything, is to raise kick-ass kids, like, and and build networks and, and... Start conversations, I think. Yeah. And so, I don't know. I, you know, like I said earlier, like, to be such a full-blooded anarchist that it like consumes you, yeah. I don't think is necessarily wise. But as a guiding sort of way of thinking, I think it's so useful. Yeah. And why not apply it to parenting? It seems to the logic checks out, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. All right, y'all. Well, thanks for coming. Thanks yeah. Thank you for having us. Appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, you know, I wish y'all luck. Tell me again, where are you moving to? Maryland. Well, just for th- you know another three months, but okay, it's it's a traveling job, so I'll be moving somewhere new about every three months. Gotcha, gotcha. So you're moving up up to the north end of Indiana yeah, for that, now. Yeah, yeah. Maryville's just outside of Gary. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Well, I wish you luck. I hope Thank you're. Uh, I hope you're well armed and. Oh yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> kind of an anarchist would I be if I wasn't? Yeah, 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 for sure. 
All right. Well, thanks again, guys. We'll uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. All right. This has been Mike the Polymath with the Easy Peasy Podcast. Come back again.